Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. It is Monday, July 30th, 2018, and this is the MMA Hour. Caesar is home, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program. I appreciate you joining me. We have a lot to get to today on this beautiful Monday here in New York City or wherever you're watching this. So let's see. We're going to have your calls at the sound off a little bit later in the show. We're going to get to your tweets a little bit in the front of the show. We'll have to do the weigh-in. We have to talk about UFC Calgary, and we've got a number of guests here as well. 1220 for the Monday Morning Analyst. He's a striking coach for John Jones, as well as many Jackson Wink fighters. Brandon Gibson will be here. Let's see, at 1240, he fights Hanato Moicano at UFC 227. Cub Swanson will join us at 1 o'clock. It'll be, let's see, Herb Dean, famed referee. Got a graphics package running twice here. Famed referee, he'll help us understand some of the situations that we saw uh, over the weekend. And then at 120, the Iron Lady will join us. Jermaine Duran to me, who appears to be back and ready for UFC action. Where has she been? What has she been up to? We will get the latest with that. Number to call, as always, 844-866-2468. And of course, we take your tweets with the hashtag, the MMA Hour. Okay, a lot to get to. Put that away. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sorry that I, ha- I keep these in the boxes. I literally keep forgetting the stand that they go on. Someone has to remind me, so I apologize. But um, shouts to Plastic Cell for that. I uh, hope everyone had a great weekend. I know I did. Got to see the new Mission Impossible. Two thumbs up. And, of course, UFC Calgary was over the weekend. There's a lot to get to about that, which we will hear on today's show. Uh, my general impressions were I loved it. I loved – I won't say everything about it, but I loved – a lot about it, and I, I think for me, my favorite fight was the main event. It had real tension. It had real stakes. I really enjoyed it, but if I had to be honest, my favorite moment probably came with the response that um, Jose Aldo had to his win. Pretty incredible. Pretty. I mean, I, I even got a little emotional. I'm usually dead inside, and I have been for several years, numb to the point of near non-existence emotionally, but that was, that tugged on the old heartstrings a little bit, just because um, we always like it, like when Jeremy Stevens had that pain, he just couldn't hide. When someone has emotions like that, that they can't hide, um, it stands out pretty significantly. Uh, so a lot to get to. Let's talk now to the Arequipe, to my pan, the arroz, to my frijole. He is MMA's Blicky with a stiffy, the one and only Danny Segura. Danny, how are you, Yo, my friend? How's it going? I'm good. You? Yeah. Very high energy today. Yes. I Dude, I've, I've said one word. How are you hating on <laughs> I'm just teasing. You're just a hater. I'm just, maybe a little bit, but I'm also just teasing. A little bit? How was your weekend? It was good. I worked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all do. I mean, what are you going to get used to it? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I made a point that my favorite fight was the main event. My favorite moment was the Aldo reaction. Not so much the win itself, but the reaction that he had. Favorite fight in terms of after it was over, which one you enjoyed the most. And then is that different from your favorite moment from the weekend? 
my favorite moment in fight was the Aldo fight. Really? Both of them? Yeah. That was good because it had up and downs and it was all compacted. And I mean, all fights were great, you know, so it's kind of hard to pick one. Yeah, there were a lot but, of good fights on that card. Yeah, yeah it was a really good card. But man, that Aldo shot and, and just he came back from getting rocked and who he is and what that victory meant for him. It just felt huge. Did you get emotional when you saw him crying oh, like that? I, I got yeah. a little emotional. I'll be honest. 100%. Because like. We, we've always seen Aldo, like, even with the Conor McGregor loss and, like, his losses to Max Holloway, this very professional guy. He kind of reminds me, again, all throughout their soccer, like a soccer player, always says the right things in the media, mm-hmm. you know, very composed guy. But we didn't, I, I didn't really realize until after the fight, until I saw him burst into tears, how big and how important was this fight for him. And not only that, but, like, the amount of pressure that guy had to go into that fight with was just ridiculous. I mean, we're talking about a pound-for-pound great Back-to-back losses could be very well in the end of his career. Mm. You know, very few fights left on his contract. I mean, this fight was was huge. He was facing, everyone's like, well, he only lost to Max Holloway. Right, but he lost two fights, number one. Yeah. So he was facing a potential third. And number one, like the damage from the first two was legit. He took a lot of damage. So to me, we'll get to this a little bit later. I thought he looked, I thought he looked overall pretty great, all things considered. Couple of things worth mentioning there um, in the end. I did not like, we'll get to this a little bit later. I did not like any of the criticism of Ioani and Jacek. I thought that was absurd. And I know that Alexander Hernandez was hard on himself, but I really enjoyed the effort that he turned in, as well as for Olivia Aubon Marcier. Now, let me ask you we have some tweets. We'll get to them a little bit later. How are the calls this week for the sound off, which we'll have around, good, around 135? The calls are good. They're good, huh? Yeah, a little slacking on the mouth breathing, but, you know, we had uh, i say we have a seductive <laughs> call in there. So the, the bit is getting a little tired, so we can maybe. Maybe, you know, a couple of weeks we can go without it, but I'm glad to hear that there was an enthusiastic response. Yes? Yeah. All right. So we'll come back to you uh, intermittently, but definitely for the sound off. So be ready. Okay. Cool. All right. Good. Very good. Thank you so much. Let's get the show started with the new segment that I'm introducing. It's time now for the weigh-in. So what do I want to talk about today? Well, a couple of things, but I want to focus in first for the weigh-in on a debate that I saw materializing a little bit after the fights were over on Saturday night. And that was, what can you say about the resume of Dustin Poirier? Now, everybody knows the dynamic that we typically have in fight sports, where unless you have this sort of Floyd, even like Floyd Mayweather's record, you can make some, you can make criticisms of every resume, but the point being is people will overemphasize the significance of many losses. Now, you can't discount a fighter's losses. You can't ignore them. You can't, it's part of their story. It's part of their story. But I noticed that people were trying to undermine the win of Dustin Poirier by saying, well, look, this guy lost to Michael Johnson in 2016. This guy lost to blah, 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 blah. I mean, how good is he really? And I thought that was one of the most insane things I think I'd ever seen. It truly, truly insane. Look, the reality is you can nitpick any resume. You can go back to any kind of resume if you want. And you can say, well, what? how good was it then? You know, what does it mean to have a win over Jonathan Brookins, who was a good fighter at the time, but look back on it, what do fans know about that now? What do they know about wins over, you know, pick the, some of the various guys who may not be competing at a high level anymore and then go back and discount it. At the time, they, they, they mattered a lot. You know, in fact, Max Holloway has a loss to Dustin Poirier. How much do you really want to hold that against him? You don't hear nearly as much chirping about that. But the point stands that you get a lot of this. And it's part of the fight game. People may have allegiances to Eddie or they may just be, um, they may overstate things even in good faith, right? But there's a lot of bad faith out there too. There's a lot of people. And look, I've been negative 
This comes as no surprise to you. I have been negative at times myself. I have gotten things wrong myself. Everyone can be prone to it at times, but you have to acknowledge it and you have to, to the extent possible, you have to be aware of it. So the point being is even for an undefeated resume like Mayweather's in boxing, you can still say, well, you know, he fought Pacquiao post-prime and he fought Cotto post-prime and he fought Canelo pre-prime. And you can go down to that last chapter and you can say a lot of that about a lot of the other fights he had, Victor Ortiz and even the Maidana fights to an extent. These, these were all sort of like hand-picked to make himself uh, look a little good. So it might be an undefeated resume, but there are asterisks here or there. And I don't present to you that Dustin Poirier's resume is perfect. I do not present to you that it is above reproach. I do not present to you the idea that, I don't know, you can't make some noteworthy criticisms of some of the downsides. Uh, you know, you can praise the upsides and you can note the downsides as well. All of that is part of a bigger picture. Um, and so, in many senses, right? Any MMA fighter's resume is a bit like a Rorschach test. You guys know what a Rorschach test is? Even if you don't know what a Rorschach test is, you might know the character Rorschach from, what was that comic book movie that was really bad in the end? The character Rorschach. But the point being is a Rorschach test, you'll get these uh, almost like mirror-like images. It'll be a flat one, but it'll be the same on the left as it is the right. It'll be like the mirror image of itself. And like the psychologist will ask you what you see. And some people will see a butterfly. Some people will see a horse. Some people will see, it doesn't have to be animals, smoke, a tree, a forest, people. And a lot of people will have different answers for what they see. In other words, the Rorschach test is, depending on the nature of what you say, they can make some determinations about your mental state or a way in which you see the world. But there isn't actually necessarily one thing on there. And right, so a lot of guys will have fairly middling resumes. You can praise certain parts of it. If you want to emphasize that, you can. You can, you can, you can magnify some of the negative parts too if you want to do that as well, right? Um, and a lot of guys fit into that Rorschach test segment, but not Dustin Poirier, right? You do not get to look at his resume and say, I can say as many negative things as I want to say positive things. I can make of this what I want to make of this. We can quibble at the margins if you want, right? Fine. And we can acknowledge the losses if you want. Fine. Fine. No, I'm not hiding from any of those. But if you came out of Saturday and your response to that resume, 24 and 5, and the five losses all happened inside Zufa organizations, most, the majority of which, by the way, were at featherweight. If you came out of that Saturday and your response is, eh, you're not that good. Eh, this, this is the guy that lost to Michael Johnson in 2016. Then you're failing the litmus test, not the Rorschach test, right? And the litmus test is either you get it or you don't. I've never seen, not never, but rarely do you find better litmus tests than the Dustin Poirier resume to unearth the overly critical, right? They have outed themselves as a consequence of this loss, right? If the response after Saturday is, yeah, but this is the guy that lost to Cub Swanson back in the day. This is the guy that lost to Chan Sung Jung at featherweight. This is the guy that lost to Conor McGregor like that. This is the guy that lost to Michael Johnson, however when. 
I'm not hiding from any of those facts. To me, they help also make sense of the larger resume. But if that's the thing you focus on, if that's the thing you're paying attention to, then you are failing the litmus test of, frankly, not only decency, but you are erasing your name off the roll call of people to take seriously forever. That is what you are doing. You are letting the world know this is something you just cannot be relied upon to have a fair opinion on, right? I acknowledge that he has those losses to Swanson, um, to Michael Johnson, to McGregor. I don't think that featherweight was necessarily the best weight class for him, but he has losses at lightweight too. But I also feel like when you go back and you look at those losses, which you begin to get a sense of, by the way, his first loss ever was against Danny Castillo. Does anyone want to say Danny Castillo is currently better than Dustin Poirier or even had a better MMA career than Dustin Poirier? Mm -mm. No, you don't. Uh, and certainly Cub Swanson is a fantastic talent, but they're not even in the same division anymore. Conor McGregor, hey, it's Conor McGregor. That loss counts, right? But that was also, I don't think it is optimal weight class. And the Michael Johnson one, look, you fight enough tough guys, you're going to come up short sometimes. And that's what he's done. But I think this last chapter, still less than 30 years old, you look at his resume, you look at what he's done, and yes, you take into account those losses, but he's not just beating the guys who were sort of mid-tier uh, card fillers, the Diego Fajeda guys. No, no, no. In his last three fights, he's beaten three former champs, and he stopped all three. He stopped all three. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a guy who was always good and is getting incrementally better on the job to the point now where he is clearly championship material. I don't know if he's going to get a title shot. I don't know when. And even if he does, I don't know if he's going to win. MMA is just too hard to predict. But he's got 16 UFC wins, 11 by way of stoppage. He is literally an all-time great UFC lightweight. Certainly one of the best to never hold a title. This is shark-infested waters. I would argue that the, the lightweight division is the best in all of mixed martial arts, certainly inside the UFC. It is the, it is the weight class of kings and he is sitting down kings fight after fight if you came out of saturday and your response is that's the guy that lost to michael johnson and, and that look that's a clear win for michael johnson i do not take that away from him that adds to his resume but if that's the thing you focus on that's the that's that's your big takeaway from saturday you are failing the litmus test you are you are categorically putting yourself in a place to say, do not pay attention to, to the, the opinion that I hold because it cannot be trusted. It cannot be taken seriously. Dustin Poirier is on a path to greatness. He is not shopworn. He is still relatively youthful, and he is the best he's ever been. These guys are not static creatures. The good ones get better over time they get more mature over time, they get smarter as a competitor over time, and their achievements get more meaningful over time. That is exactly what you have with him. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the weigh-in. All right, time now for your tweets. Let's get to them. We're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to put five minutes on the clock, five minutes for your tweets. As fast as you send them, that is as fast as I will sit them down. I guess start the clock when the first one comes up, gang, however you want to do that. Ready? 
Let's do it. Here we are. All right. I need to see it, though. I can't see it. Is Joanna and Jacek the best female fighter on the mic or nah? Ooh. Um, boy, that's a good question. Is she the best on the mic? She's pretty good, especially when you consider that she's doing it in a second language. So that automatically makes it a little bit more difficult. Trying to think who'd be better out there right now than her on the microphone. No, certainly she's not. She No one has as much theatrics. No one has as much declarative language. No one has, you know, she doesn't offer a lot of nuance in terms of opinion. She's the best. She continues to see herself as the best. No compromise, no middle ground. And that creates for a lot of, I think, pushback given that she has lost twice to Rose Namajunas. I didn't understand that criticism at all. What is it you expect her to say? Well, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm second best. Yeah. You know what, guys? Let me stop dreaming. Let me just stop dreaming. I, I, I'm going to just hang it up today. And, you know, I'll just be number two or something, and that'll be fine. Like, people said she's delusional. Yeah, so is every other fighter in the UFC. Every fighter in the UFC thinks they're going to win every fight. And every fight card, half of them lose. You cannot be a pro fighter at that level and not be delusional to an extent. It is part of the package. For her to have that, I was glad to see a competitor with that kind of fire. What's next? Uh, okay, is the 12 to 6 elbow illegal anywhere on the body? It's a good question. It's a better question for Herb Dean, which we're going to ask him to get clarification. My understanding, yes. My understanding is that the 12 to 6 elbow as, and again, if you're on your back, it's still gravity. To, there's no, it's, it's, it's sky to floor. So it's the force of gravity coming down. If I'm laying on my back and I'm doing it, it doesn't count. But my understanding is you can hit it on the back of the leg. You can hit it on the shoulder. You can hit it on the arm. You can hit it on the fingers. Doesn't matter. You can't throw it. Next. Uh, well, you want to get Jacek get another title shot before 2020 if Thug remains champ. I think it is inevitable. Folks have said it's a little hard for her to get one. I agree. It's not necessarily an easy, direct, obvious path. There's a lot of complicating factors. What's going to happen with Andrade? Maybe Kadelia gets up there. What if Nami Yunus, you know, uh, stays injured? Will they give her an interim title shot? There's a lot of complicating factors. But if you look at who she's beaten, I believe this is correct. I believe she's beaten the current two, three, four, five, and six on the rankings. She's in a tough spot because it's a little Rich Franklin-ish, but she's still young enough. To me, she showed a lot of vibrancy and a lot of, I, I thought, a really smart game plan at UFC Calgary. I would not bet on her not getting another title shot. Now, how and when, hard to say. And if she can stay healthy, that's really going to be important because she may fill in on someone at last minute notice. Maybe she doesn't get it direct, right? You've seen a lot of people, they're getting a, an accelerated push when they fill in. But if she can stay healthy and keeps doing what she's doing, I think it will be a force of, you know, the water crashing in. Eventually, it'll break through on the rock. Next. Uh, true or false, if Connor somehow defeats Habib, we may have to start calling him the GOAT. Um, that's a tough question. and I know we're on the clock. If Connor somehow defeats Habib, we may have to start calling him the GOAT. No. Although it would substantively alter the conversation. Because right now, I consider him to be a very elite lightweight who at times can be the very best in the world, but overall I think has some weaknesses that can be exploited by other ones. Diaz has shown that. Habib might show that. We'll see. But if he can beat Habib, the reason why I would say no is because there's just not enough competitive record against the elite of the lightweight to say that, but he'd be getting close. 
He'd be getting very, very close at that point. Next. Uh, Eddie Alvarez chose to gamble and wait until after his rematch with Dustin Poirier to renegotiate a new contract. Seeing as how he lost, do you think UFC will still give him more money on a new deal? Uh, Cub Swanson, our guest at 1240, did the exact same thing on his last fight. I think it was against Ortega. And he lost, but he still got more money and he re-signed. Now, how much more money? A substantive bump? I don't know. But go back to the last show uh, and look at the numbers. Eddie Alvarez uh, did not have enough. Did not have enough. Um, it was paid more in his Bellator last fight than he was in his UFC last fight. I understand it. Fire off another one. Can we? Yes. Good. Um, does DP, Dustin Poirier, have a shot against Tony Habib Connor, Or are they just too elite? Also, how many more fights for Aldo to get a crack at the belt again? For Aldo, probably one, two more. Maybe probably just one more. And does DP have a shot against Tony, Habib, and Connor? I think he's got a shot against all of them. Probably the best one is going to be against Tony. Tony might have some ring rust. I don't know. But I think the – I know. I'll, let me finish off the time. I love the, I love the noise. DP probably has a really great shot against Tony in the sense that he's got like that Lendo Venata. He can be really accurate and diverse with his striking. Habib, I don't know. He's just – it's a tough matchup for anybody. I'd like to see the Connor rematch, but obviously I would favor him given what happened for the first time. All right? So there we go. Five minutes of your tweets. You send the tweets out. You know, you got you to gotta just treat it like, um, you know, as quick as they come, you got to send them quickly back out. That kind of thing, right? All right, we're waiting on Brandon Gibson because we're going to do the MMA analyst now. If you guys haven't seen, there's a technique talk. I used to do technique talk segments. I did one with him. It's probably the most popular one I did on the future of striking. He's one of my favorite analysts. If not, well, I have a lot of favorites, I guess. But he's certainly up there. Uh, and I'm happy that he is joining us now on Skype. Striking coach for many of the world's best fighters, John Jones, many others. at Jackson Wink. The one and only Brandon Gibson joins us for the MMA Hours Monday Morning Analyst. How are you, sir? How is lovely Albuquerque, New Mexico? Uh, it's a gorgeous morning out here. Very, very nice morning. All right, so let's start with the main event. I'd love to get your perspective on that. What can you say about the striking of Dustin Poirier? Why did it contribute to his winning? Oh, I, I first off, I love the fight. I think uh, Mr. Poirier is the new king of violence in the UFC. Um, I, I was really impressed with his striking. I was more impressed with his composure. Um, I think he was able to really keep the focus, especially you know after Eddie had him mounted through the legal twelve to six elbow. I think a lot of fighters would be flustered in that position. He was able to stay calm, stay focused, and find his openings. What do you make of that southpaw right-handed position? He did switch stance a little bit, but everyone says the key is you have to have the, your lead foot on the outside of theirs. Is that really true? Like in every scenario, do you want that or can that vary a little bit? No, I definitely think there's a lot of opportunities to vary it. Um, you know, I train a lot of southpaw fighters, and, and one thing I look for is for them to dictate when they're on the inside. Um, I think Manny Pacquiao is the best example of that. So probably nine out of 10 times you want to have that outside control, but when you choose to go to the inside, you need to be the one to dictate it first. And, uh, and Dustin did a really good job with that, especially chasing Alvarez against the fence. He knew when to switch and when to flank and then when to keep the long outside attacks going. What is your view on stance switching, right? Because some fighters do it a lot. Some fighters do it just a little bit. We saw a little bit in this fight. I don't know that it played necessarily a big role, but if you have a southpaw fighter, would you recommend stance switching more or less, or does it does stance or, or, or original stance? Does that not matter? Sure. Um, you know that open stance compared to the closed stance, so the open guard would be the the southpaw orthodox stance. 
Um, I think the biggest thing is, is when you do have a fighter that switches, teaching them when and how and, and the defense that goes along with it, first and foremost. I think a lot of the guys have their orthodox tricks or their southpaw tricks. And when I watch tape, we know, okay, if they switch, they're typically going to do this, but their defense isn't polished. So when I see the guys switch, um, I think it's key to know what's coming and what they're open for. Um, you know, I have a lot of fighters that switch stance, John Jones being um, probably the, the first and foremost, but we see it a lot out of Condit. Um, I got Cerrone switching some southpaw. Um, the last few fights, so uh, I'm a big believer in it, but I'm, I'm a big believer in their defense in both stances first before it's implemented into the fights. Irrespective of this fight, just in general, when you watch MMA or UFC today, what's the biggest problem you see with guys trying to switch stance? Um, yeah, defense and then range awareness. Uh, I think some guys are really good at, at their off stance, um, maybe from a kicking range or a boxing range, but not always from a clinch range or, or getting their levels going. So, um, but I, I think we're going to continue to see an evolution of it. Um, guys like Dillashaw that are fighting this weekend are, are great stance switchers. Uh, Cruz, I, I think we see it a lot at the lighter weights, and um, we're starting to see it more at the heavier weights. And someone was asking about how Poirier would do against some of the other top lightweights. It's obviously, it's a mixed martial arts fight, so it could involve many variables. But let me just ask you from the striking perspective, how good is his striking at lightweight? Oh, I love it. I think he looks powerful. He looks fast. He looks very well conditioned. I think 155 is uh, the weight class he needs to be at. I don't remember seeing him going back to featherweight. Um, and I think he can hang with the best of them. I would love to see how he matches up against Ferguson or or Kevin Lee, or Pettis, or, you know, the, the, I guess it's really about this, but there's a lot of great guys that um, I want to see matched up against. Then it takes us to Eddie Alvarez. I thought Eddie had a pretty good game plan, right? He was trying to feint. He was trying to work at boxing range. But he just, and he had moments, don't get me wrong. Like, he didn't look bad by any stretch. But I don't know. Like, I kept, I kept thinking that Poirier kept finding that calf kick, and he just kept finding a way to put mm -hmm. the fight at his boxing range. What did you see from Eddie? I think Eddie's great when, when he gets the pressure going, uh, when he gets uh, his opponents to the warning track, he's very dangerous. Um, you know, we saw it in the Gaethje fight. We saw it against Pettis. I, he's great when he's the one dictating the pressure, but I think against a guy like Eddie, um, you have to be able to pressure back and you have to be able to not give ground. And Dustin did a really good job of that. So let's take uh, that now to the co-main event, Jose Aldo. What a win. Were you like us? Where we're like, dude, when he was crying, I'm not a I'm not a Jose hater. I'm not a Jose fan, but I was I got emotional about it. Absolutely, you know he's he's such a storied uh, champion, and to see these guys, you know, recapture a bit of their um, glory and and solidify their legacy that much more, it's it's inspiring. And and I'm, I was happy to see uh, Andre Pinaderas, his his coach, uh, so emotional as well. I know that that it, it's a long road to get back to those moments, so. Um, yeah, that's, that's some of the stuff that makes the sport so great. So then for him, the leg kicks were there a little bit. Daniel Cormier had noted he had kind of gotten away from them, but they, they had a role here. But if I had to ask you why Aldo won, yes, the answer is the body shot. But was there a way from your perspective to see how he set it up? Yeah, he really got um, Stevens getting his frame up. So the more Jose threw that right overhand, which is kind of like the classic Dutch tie boxing style, getting their frame to come out, getting their frame to come out, getting the frame out. 
that, you know, Stevens blocked the, the right hand, but his guard was up so high, it just left that body shot really, really open. And Jose not only threw the left hook to the body so well, but he, he closed distance off that right hand. You know, you look, you, you see him spring into that left hook, and uh, it, was a, it was a great moment, you know, seeing the, it's, it's always two steps. You always get one or two, and then you feel it, um, and you saw it on Steven's face, and it was kind of like a uh, Lance Grimace, but like a, you got me, and um, yeah, the story was all over after that. You know what's crazy? Like, Jeremy Stevens is, like, psycho-tough, psycho-tough. That pain, it must be so bad that mentally, I'm sure he wanted to keep going. His body was like, I've had enough. Is there any way for folks who've never felt that? Can you describe what that pain is like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's paralyzing. It's not the initial impact. You're, you're good off the initial impact. It's one, two seconds later, and then you can't move at all. Um, you know, in, in the gym, I don't like to see guys get hit hard in the head. And I think it's a famous coach move that when the young guy comes in and is going real hard and, and ultra aggressive, you just give him a liver shot to settle him down. Fair enough. What'd you, <laughs> what did you see from Stevens there? He had a couple of moments where he was backing Aldo up. I thought that was the right game plan, but why didn't it work out in the end? He just needed more time or was there something else you saw? You know, I, um, I thought Jeremy did a really good job. You know, he was, he was firing leg kicks. He was, he was aggressive. He was pressuring Jose. He wasn't giving him a lot of respect. Um, Jose was just able to create the opening. I think Jeremy got uh, his, his feet planted a little too much. Let Jose go first, and uh, and that's all it took. Um, I've been really impressed with the streak that Jeremy's been on. He's been in a lot of wars coming up to this. He's absolutely shown his, his toughness and his grit. Um, you know, Jose just was able to create the opening. And so for folks who have been asking how he looked, I, here's what I'm going to say, Brandon. I don't think he looked chinny, and I don't think that's fair to say. Plus, Jeremy Stevens is a hard hitter, and he landed a clean uppercut mm-hmm. on him when he was against the fence, and Aldo was okay. But I do think I saw just a tick of all the accumulated damage slowing him down a bit. So I still think Aldo is a very, very high-level contender, but I'm not sure he's, the, he's not the Aldo of old. Uh, I agree with you on that. Um, I think it shows how great Max Holloway is be at the level he's at and to have these victories over all of these amazing featherweight contenders. Um, but yeah, Joe, Jose showed some age. There's no doubt about that. Um, I thought early on, uh, you know, it looked like he got rocked. He got slowed down. Um, you know, he's still young in this sport. Uh, I think if he can continue to evolve his style, he'll still have a few years left. I just don't know if, if his style is the kind that could evolve that well. Uh, any, anything else on that card that stood out to you from your perspective? You know, I was happy to see um, Joanna win. Um, it, want, it was kind of a bit of a lackluster fight, uh, but I was happy to see her with her hand raised. Um, and I think the, the the great fight on the card was Ross Pearson, John McDessie. Yeah. I, I love that fight. That was a great one to see just a bloody back and forth. McDessie did such a good job controlling the boxing range and finding the pull counters against Ross. And Ross was in it until the very last second, so it was a, that was a fun scrap. Fair to say that you think McDessey is reborn at Rufus Sport, and this is not a slight at Faraz and TriStar. Their reputation speaks for itself. They produce world champions, and they will continue to do so. But not everybody's the right fit for every place. He seems to be thriving at Rufus Sport. Yeah, I think um, you know McDessey and Rufus are, are really starting to click together, and sometimes that's what it needs. Like uh, 
you know, TriStar is obviously a great gym. Uh, I've gone through it myself where I have a really good fighter, and sometimes you just get to a point where um, you get a little stagnant. You know, you get caught in your rhythms, and it's good for those fighters to get out and try some new stuff. And, you know, speaking of that, I'm actually sending Carlos Condit up to TriStar. He's going to get a little work in with Rory and, and Frost and help Rory for the Musasi fight. So I, I'm happy that Carlos gets to go out there and get a new look and pick up some new tools and be in a new atmosphere and environment. So absolutely. How, how did that come about? That's an interesting development. Um, yeah, I think Carlos and Rory just, uh, you know, talked and um, the offer was there and the opportunity and the, the timing was right. So go for it. Wow, great. Now, I know that there's a big fight coming up that you're invested in, UFC 227, the main event. Cody uh, Garbrandt is going to be looking to get his title back when he faces TJ Dillashaw. Let's break this down just a little bit. Let's start with TJ first. I have to tell you, when I watch him strike, boy, I have a lot of trouble following what he's doing. I gather it's a lot of fakes, it's a lot of feints, but tell me from your perspective, it's so many it's so many angle changes it's so many speed changes with his hand with his positioning how would you describe the striking modern striking of TJ Dillashaw you know I actually just got back from Los Angeles this weekend I went to train my good friend Cub Swanson and he's at the training lab with TJ so I was able to see TJ work a little bit this weekend and um you know TJ and, and Ludwig have really built up a good system of repetition, repetition, catch you on that same pattern. Um, so I see TJ setting a lot of traps. He's very good in both stances. He has wonderful entries, um, very good on his face, very good on his level changes. And, you know, the, the takedown is always there with TJ. Um, you know, he showed it in his fight against Lineker. If he wants to fight the pace that way, um, I think he definitely can set up some great takedowns. How do you, and I'm not asking you to reveal a game plan necessarily, but how do you beat a guy like TJ Dillashaw, assuming that wrestling is not an option? You know, I think the exchange Cody caught him with at the end of the first round in their first bout um, is, is kind of how you get TJ. You let TJ come to you and you look to find power shots. That's how Dotson caught him back in the day. Um, I think you have to be t patient with TJ. I think you almost have to counterfeit him. Um, or you pressure him so hard that you force him to flank off and, and you find some power shot openings there. And now we that brings but us yes. to Coach. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, he's a, he's a he's a tricky fighter to fight. That's for sure. You, you can't bite on everything, and um, you know he brings a lot of power. Well, one thing I've noticed about Cody, and we had Dominic Cruz on the show. He believes that uh, Cody's going to win. I mean, he wasn't like adamant about it, but that was the way he was leaning. And he believes that Cody was really impacted by the back injury at UFC 217. Do you share that assessment? You know, I worked with Cody a little bit at the start of his camp for 217. We went out to Austin together, and, and I could see that his, his back was troubling him. And I think that was uh, an injury that plagued him throughout the camp. So, you know, Cody wouldn't want me to make any excuses for him. But, you know, those kind of injuries, especially back injury, can take its toll on a training camp. So um, I hear Cody's been super healthy this camp, and, and I think it could absolutely make a difference. Um, Cody has the power to, to finish anybody at 135, and he definitely has the speed. Um, he's been champion. I think he's hungry. I think he's hungry to come back. Um, stylistically, I think these guys, it could be 50-50 every time they fight. I really do. They, they both have so much um, power and technique, and they're both the new age kind of fighter. I'm excited for this one. 
Aside from Cody's noted power, what would you say is his best technical asset? Um, Cody, Cody has sharp eyes. He has very sharp eyes and very good range awareness. Those are hard things to teach. That just comes with years and years and years of, of martial arts. Um, his boxing movement is, is so refined. You know, some guys need big moves to set up their angles. Cody's just like the little quarter step guy and, and he has you on an angle and you know he's safe and you know he's going first. Um, yeah, Cody's, a, you know, and he's ultra aggressive. That's a hard thing to teach. He just bites down and goes forward. Fair enough. Uh, with the time we have remaining, uh, one of your other understudies, John Jones, put up a reflective post on Instagram. I believe it was the one-year anniversary of his win over Cormier. And I don't want to get into those details, but he did say something kind of interesting, that he believes that when he comes back, whenever that is, um, that he's going to be a, another level above what he already was back then, which, if you're looking back at what he showed then, <laughs> was another level above what he was before. But my, my, my question to you is, like, how— it's not that I don't believe it. It's, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to believe it. It's that how do you maintain that kind of growth in the absence of competition? Yeah, absolutely. And he's had long periods of, of breaks. Like there was a long layoff to the first DC fight. There was a long layoff to the OSP fight. There was a long layoff to the DC2 match. But I also think that this is a game um, where guys are, are paying too high of a price in training camps and in sparring leading up to fights. So John's layoff definitely has some, some benefits, but you're right. Like the, the lack of competition could also be uh, a hindrance at times. So it's going to be a balance, um, but we never have a problem getting John Jones fired up. He's a, he's a special champion. He has a very special mindset and uh, he'll get in there and, and, I believe reclaim everything that he ever had and more. Um, I told him the other day that that I think greatness and and his legacy continue to await us. Like we're not there yet. Do you think? How do I ask this? We already knew he was a great wrestler. That was true before he even really got into MMA, right? Um, how much better of a striker can he be? Like again, the other question is, how much more growth is still possible? I think there's still a lot of growth possible. Um, you know, John's in his 30s now. I think he's really starting to develop the one strike knockout power. And we saw that in the last DC fight. Um, you know, before that, John was like a, a break him down, break him down, break him down finish where guys were never just out cold unconscious. Um, I think now John's really developing a lot of power for 205 and he's going to really start putting guys to sleep. Do you think he has any interest? I mean, I realize I'm asking you to speculate, so I apologize. But do you think he has any interest to to compete at heavyweight? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the goal right now when he returns would be to claim back the light heavyweight crown. Um, but John has a frame and definitely the technique and the size to compete at heavyweight. And and who knows, maybe they make a 225 cruiserweight one day or a 195. I think John would have a lot of interest in in different weight categories, not just heavyweight. Uh, before we go, the the co-main event, I believe, for UFC 227, Demetrius Johnson is going to face Henry Cejudo. Let me pitch to you the question as follows. What does Henry Cejudo need to do to win? Because it appears Mighty Mouse is quite the puzzle for everyone to figure out. As myself included, I think I've cornered <laughs> 15 rounds against Demetrius, and <laughs> I've not figured him out yet. So props to him and Matt Hume on a great job. Uh, I, I still want another bite at that one for sure. Um, 
yeah, the, the stopping Demetrius. If you let Demetrius control the pace, um, he's he's going to wear the guys down. Like I think he fights at the highest pace out of any MMA fighter in any weight class. Um, so Cerruto's going to have to stop him and control him, whether that's on the fence, whether that's on the ground. I think trying to carry Demetrius into some deep waters and, and slow him down is the only way to beat him. I don't see Cerruto maintaining the same output that DJ can. All right. Any other, um, by the way, are you keeping up with boxing these days? A little bit. I watched Mike Garcia and uh, Robert Easter the other night, so I, I try my best to yeah. keep up with boxing. That's probably one sport outside the MMA realm I try to follow. You don't watch too much kickboxing? I watched a little bit of that uh, karate <laughs> combat on Bypass the other day. That was cool. Um, yeah, I watch Glory. Um, but as far as like outside, I mean, if I was watching college football on a Saturday, I think my wife would lose her mind. Like, I'm already <laughs> so enthralled in sports as it is that there's not too much time for recreational sporting opportunities i was just gonna say before we let you go uh, you know i've been watching and i've been very impressed by is this kid from new orleans regis progray he looks amazing oh yeah a little bit of him you know um i'm excited for boxing right now you know i think they're really starting to develop a lot of stars everybody in mma loves lomachenko um i love the power of canelo i love the slickness of triple g I love the the ferociousness of Wilder. Um, I like the work ethic of Joshua. There's a lot of stars right now, and um, you know I'm always looking for different athletes that that can inspire me or from a from a psychological stance or um, a technical stance. So I try to keep do my best to keep up because everything's changing so fast. All right. Well, we appreciate it. You can follow him on Twitter at Six Gun Gibson. By the way, are you going to LA for the fights? You know, I think I make. I'm not going to corner Cub. Um, he has a real good team with them, so I may just go out as a fan and spectate. All right. Well, you have certainly earned the right to uh, spectate. Uh, thank you so much for your wisdom, your wisdom, and your insight. We always appreciate it, and uh, I'll see you on the road. Yes, sir. Thank you, Luke. Always a pleasure. Likewise. All right. So he just mentioned Cub Swanson. Cub Swanson, I believe, is correct me if I'm wrong. I believe we have him on Skype. Do we not? Yes, we do. So let's go back to Skype and talk to Mr. Swanson. There he is. Hey, Cub, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Look at that mustache. Wow. Are you driving around in vans picking up kids? <laughs> uh, just, just my own. Oh, look at her. Hey. She is adorable, man. What's her name? Thank you. I'm on Royal. Royal. Is it feeding time? Yeah, I... I wake her up in the mornings, uh, take care of her for about the first hour and feed her, change her, do all that stuff. And then uh, Kenda takes over and, and then I go to the gym. So it's usually how it works out. Yeah, I was going to say, how was it? how is it being a father impacting your training? I've been seeing some of the stuff on Instagram. Obviously, the work is getting in, but I imagine it's been a bit of an adjustment period as well. Um, only a little bit. Um, it's been pretty cool because... All the guys at the gym, uh, me, Juan, TJ, Syed, Georgie, we all we all have young kids. So we all have that in common and kind of know what each other are going through. And uh, we just go to the gym. We enjoy each other's company. We train hard and we go home and hang out with the family. I can never keep track of your gym uh, affiliations. So you and TJ and another gentleman – you have this new gym, the training center, spelled with like a rain in the training. 
currently in Orange County, as I understand it. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, but you used to be in Palm Springs, and you're still affiliated to an extent with Jackson's. So, like, how how did you end up in this predicament? Okay, so I was always living in Palm Springs, and you know, doing my camps out in Albuquerque, I would go back and forth, and um, I just decided that you know I really wanted to get with our, our strength conditioning coach and and guy who was doing our diet, Sam Calavita, with the training lab. And we got the opportunity with me and Juan and TJ to basically start up a gym uh, with him and, uh, and and be able to do that full time. And I saw that as an opportunity for some change and uh, an opportunity to not have to leave the state, you know, and leave my family. So, uh, you know, my wife, Kenda, spent the first pregnancy in, in Palm Springs in the summer and uh, I didn't want to do that to her again, so she's pregnant again. So we decided to move out here full time to Orange County and uh, train. I train out here full time, and I don't have to leave the family at all. Aside from the convenience, has it delivered what you have hoped it would deliver? Oh yeah, um, you know I'm really picking up my wrestling, um, getting back to my jujitsu, uh, changing up a little bit of my my striking. Um, obviously bringing out Brandon, uh, Gibson that you guys were just talking to, he's been coming out, you know, helping me flow on some things, but I've, I've worked a lot with Dwayne Ludwig. Um, me and TJ share a lot of ideas. Uh, we feel like, uh, we both have things that could help each other. Um, and, uh, and then Juan Archuleta, he, he helps me with my wrestling, you know, daily. So I just feel like all together, I'm, I'm just becoming more complete. I wonder if she agrees. Apparently she does. Uh, did you yeah. feel like you needed to make a change? Like in terms of, um, no, no, you needed, we were talking, they were, they were, Brandon was telling me they're sending Carlos Condit up to TriStar to get some new looks. Did you feel like you needed a new look? Yeah, I definitely felt like I needed a, uh, I just felt like I needed a change for some growth. And, um, you know, uh, I love Jackson's, uh, everybody there is family to me and they know that. And I didn't leave on bad terms or anything. They, they kind of understood my situation and I've been there. I've been going out there for eight, nine years. And, uh, I, I felt like I needed to take a, a you know, start a new chapter in my career. And I, I honestly feel like all in my career here at, at this facility and with Sam, uh, especially going into my mid to, you know, and then late 30s, I'm 34 now, I felt like I really needed to be as smart as possible with how I'm treating my body and how I'm performing every day. So, uh, you know, I really felt like Sam was my best option, uh, you know, the our strength conditioning coach. And I just felt like if I want to have longevity in this sport, I need to treat my body right. You know, when it comes to weight cutting, when it comes to strength training and, and making sure that I'm good. What did you identify personally as your biggest area of need? Uh, just having my game well-rounded, you know. Uh, did you feel like you got I away from that? With, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, for a long period of time, I, I had a bad back, uh, you know, for a long, you know, period in my career. And I didn't want to grapple. I didn't want to wrestle because I had a higher chance of, of not making it to the fight. And so uh, I did enough to maintain, but then, you know, some fights have showed that, you know, I lacked in those areas. 
And, uh, you know, I've done a really good job of with the strength training of strengthening my core and getting better and, and just, uh, you know, finding a better ways to, to do those things. So you're facing Hanato Moicano. This will be the opening bout on the main card at UFC 227. What do you make of Moicano as an opponent? I mean, I think uh, he's he does a good job at fighting with, uh, you know, his length. And, uh, you know, he's, he's pretty quick on his feet. And he's, got, he's got long range, so he uses that very well. Uh, he does get caught up sometimes trying to brawl. But for the most part, he'll he'll stick and move and run and lay kick and 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 kind of play the game. And uh, you know he does it pretty well, and he's done it to some high level guys. So I got to give him props on that. What conditions do you have to establish in order to win? Um, I think I definitely need to check his kicks. Um, I I, I got to cut him off, but uh, I'm not going to be chasing him or anything like that. I think a lot of people have messed up doing that um i think he'll i'll find ways to get him to to come to the middle and, and fight me in the middle and a win over him gets you what i mean it's a nice win of course uh, over a respected name but beyond that in your your judgment what's the value in beating him well i mean he's i had a lot of guys calling me out and he was the top ranked one you know and so uh that was the fight i wanted i think it's a it's a good fight and i went over him i think just it's me another big fight. Not really too worried about the belt right now. Uh, I just want big fights, at, you know, and, and uh, fun fights at this point in my career. Like you have no designs on the belt or not at this moment? Uh, not at this moment, but, you know, if I if I never fought for the belt, it w- wouldn't bother me. I've uh, that whole song and dance gets gets tiring and uh, it's a lot of, you know, playing favorites. And I just. Uh, I've, I've just had it. I've had it dangled in front of me so many times. I'm just like, whatever, man. Just you know, give me the big fights. Uh, you know, pay me to show up and and uh, let me do my thing, and and I'll go home and and uh, hang out with my family and do my thing. Do you read anything into the idea that he's a younger guy, up and coming, and you're a little bit certainly I would not call you old, but a little bit longer in the tooth than some guys, and so the UFC might be saying, hey, let's exchange one guy for the other. I mean, that that's always the point. That's what happened with uh, Duho Choi. And, uh, you know, they. that's how matchmaking works. You go, hey, this guy's on a roll. He's up and coming. Uh, you know, let's let's test him against this person. So uh, I know the role I'm in right now. You know, coming off of a couple losses, you know, you get to be the gatekeeper role. So uh, that's fine. I'm just not going to let anybody, you know, build their name off of me. Fair enough. Now, the other issue sort of involved here is not is not necessarily uh, that position, but the one that you were in previously. So you fought out your contract and in the last fight you lost, but you did re-sign with the UFC. And correct me if I'm wrong, I went back and I looked at this. You did get at least some kind of a pay bump. Did you not? Oh, I did, yeah. So ultimately, I would imagine you'd have no regrets about re-signing with them. But what I would ask you is, if you could go back and do it all over, would you do it the same way? Yeah, I would. Uh, I feel like when it was all said and done, we were able to see eye to eye. Um, it, it was more than they were initially offering me. Um, you know, I did get some huge offers, um, but the companies weren't, you know, as stable and, and things like that. And it was really making me um, 
you know, really think hard. Um, but one of the biggest things is I'm, I'm all for USADA. Um, you know, I spent a long time fighting for the company with, you know, without the major drug testing. And I feel like, um, I wasn't a big fan of that. And so I just, I was, I was thinking in my, in my head, do I really want to be fighting guys that I know are just cheating and I'm not one, not one to do that. So, um, I, I was happy to sign back with the UFC and being in a clean sport. So you, you think this might be an area where we disagree a little bit. So let's, let's talk about that. Do you believe that USADA is working? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, I'm a big fan of yours. I, I listen to you all the time. You know that. And that's one thing I disagree with you on. I, I tell everybody, you know, that's the only thing I disagree with. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a big inconvenience with USADA and I don't think they're catching everybody. I think there are some people that are getting around it, but for the most part, they are catching people. Um, you know, a lot of the people that are getting caught, everyone's making excuses. Uh, maybe a handful of those people are, are legitimate, but I, I doubt it. Um, do you mean like the, uh, tainted supplement excuse? Yeah. I, I, I have a hard time believing a lot of those. I mean, you're supposed to, you know, be on top of all that stuff. And, you know, with our, with our coach, Sam, everything that we take, you know, he's putting a stamp of approval on. And if we were to test positive, he's, he's basically, you know, putting our whole team like, Hey, we all take this stuff. You know, we give it to you, Sada. This is what we're taking, you know, feel free. And, uh, I feel very confident every time they test me, I'm like, yeah, come on, test me. I'm, I'm good. I'm clean. So you have you you basically have a service where you pay to have your stuff tested ahead of time. Is that the idea? The supplements you might take or the food you uh, might take or whatever. Sam, it basically he runs everything past Jeff Nowinski. Um, huh. You know, he he gave he gave him all the list of all the supplements and things that we're taking, and make sure uh, before he gives it to any of us that that it's okay before. Now, does this come at some kind of uh, considerable cost? How, how does this? How do you ultimately arrange for this service? No, that um, that's just part of the regimen with with uh, with Sam. Is like he does our strength conditioning, our diet, and our supplements, and he takes care of all that stuff. He's the one that you know it has a working relationship with Jeff Novinsky and uh, and make sure that everything that we're taking is legit before we take it. And just uh, by, it's by company. It's not like we're doing independent testing or anything like that. It's just they we're saying, hey, we're using this company, this product. Do, do we have the okay on these products? How bad do you think the steroid problem was pre-USADA? When, well, I I when I say steroid, by the way, I mean not merely steroids, but any kind of banned substance. I mean, I think it was bad. Uh I was pretty ignorant to it, you know, all the, through my WC days because I, I came from a smaller gym, I, I believe. Uh, I think, you know, when you get to like the super gyms, there are more people that are helping each other out. And, and so there's more of a chance that you get to learn about that kind of stuff. I didn't learn about any of that kind of stuff until later in my career and really finding out like, wow, OK. And it's not like that. There's a difference between somebody taking the smallest amount to like recover and then a combination of like 10 things to make them just an animal some some enough to like change the structure of your face you know what i mean 
yeah. size of your head. You know what I mean? That So there's a difference between taking a little bit to recover and then making you just like a robot. And, and I think that that's, you know, I feel bad for them in the long run because I think they'll have um, a lot of problems down the road. And I think that when they talk about, you know, concussions and things like that, I feel like a lot of people don't take into consideration that it's the concussions mixed with the steroids and the, and what that might do to the brain. Fair enough. We'll have to discuss this in person because I've got some of my, my other ideas about it. But you did bring up something separate from this idea that I do think is kind of interesting. You know what I've noticed? Maybe I'm onto something, maybe I'm not. I have noticed that the super gym, as you described, it's not necessarily going away. Wait, what does the caption on your mug say? Coffee makes me poop? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the super gym is not going away. But it is going away for the elite fighter. Every time we have an elite fighter on this show, more and more and more, they're having guys around them, but it's very tailored. It's very delicate. It's very much about them. This idea, let's throw 20 of the best welterweights in a room and we'll just see what happens. I think people are still doing that, but not for the very top guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, they always said, like, look at boxing, look at what they're doing. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in a, in a boxing gym and I watched the way it goes. And it's you'll 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 see a trainer as another trainer and then a towel guy, a water guy and one fighter. You know, it'll be one fighter and five assistants. But, you know, they were making the kind of money to pay all those people. So I think that was the difference um, in our sport. The, the money's not like that. You'll you'll see two coaches in a room with. 40 fighters and you know I, I i feel like it was all a money thing i think that when you know you start making a few million dollars you can you can build your own gym and pay those coaches to to come and and watch every session and pay training partners to come in and i i just feel like it was simply a money thing why haven't you sent me any samples of your beer yet because my beer is not being made anymore. What? It's pretty about that. Uh, it sold out the first batch they did, and then they kept giving me the runaround. And then the last time I talked to the the main brewmaster of the place I was working with, uh, he's like, "Oh, I'm no longer there." And I was like, "All right, but I I am getting a, a Killer Cub cold brew coming out that I will send you." Okay. Coffee. All right, I can deal with that. And before I let you go, I was looking on your Instagram. Uh, I see you're here playing soccer, which I'm a big soccer fan too. However, you disgust me, Cub Swanson, because you're wearing a filthy, filthy Juventus jersey, of which I can only say how disgusting. What are you thinking wearing a Juventus jersey? Man, it's funny. I, I literally, so my buddy calls me, guys, I, I grew up playing soccer with, and they're like, hey, we got a 35 and over league. You want to jump in? And I'm like, well, I'm not 35 yet. I'm 34 and they're like, yeah, but you turned 35 this year so you could play. And I was like, oh, cool. So both of my brothers decided to jump on. So I just show up and jump on playing with my brothers and all these guys that I went to high school with. They're a little bit older than me. And uh, and that's the jersey they gave me. And, uh, <laughs> I posted a picture and then people were just, yeah, you're a Juventus fan. Oh, screw you. And it was funny how much uh, people were just chiming in on it. And I was like, man, I just showed up and they gave me the jersey. 
But now that Ronaldo's on the team, it's even crazier. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I just like high level soccer. I don't really have a, a have a team. I always cheer for for American teams. All right. Well, you know what you can cheer for? You can join me and cheer for Real Madrid, the kings of Europe. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, Cup. Uh, thank you to your lovely wife for helping out assistance with your uh, very verbal daughter. And uh, thank you for spending some time with us. I really cannot wait to see you compete at UFC 227. And I appreciate your candor, even on spaces where we disagree. I appreciate you as well. Thanks, All right. Guys. Thanks, Cup. Take care. That takes us from one esteemed gentleman to another. And I believe this one is through the magic of telephone, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he is a uh, one of the best referees in the business, and I wanted to have him on. It merely has some clarification, just so we can get better information and we can make better and informed choices about what we see. The legendary Herb Dean joins us now on the telephone. Herb, how are you? I'm excellent. How about yourself, Luke? I'm doing great, Herb. Thank you for making some time for us. So as you can imagine, there were some questions coming out of UFC Calgary, and there's some broader questions, too, that I wanted to get into. First of all, the 12-6 to 6 elbow. Somebody asked me earlier today... The 12 to 6 elbow, even if it lands on, say, your fingers or the back of your knee, or it's not even painful, even the even if it misses, is it still a foul? Um, yeah, well, it's a foul to throw a 12 to 6 elbow. Uh, and so, yeah, so the, and the 12 to 6 is a, the, the description, meaning that the elbow is traveling from sky to earth, from ceiling to floor. And that's the way they that they call it twelve to six. Oh, okay, um, you would you would assess the penalty depending on, like, if you were in a fight or you were you were refereeing. How do you assess the, the penalty? Like, if it lands, how bad it is. If it doesn't land, walk me through that. Right. So, so there. I mean, there's there's a foul. Um, so there's an illegal technique. Of course, if it doesn't land, it, it doesn't hurt the person. Uh, uh, or if it lands and it's not, you know. It doesn't impact the person. So as a referee, we have uh, some choices. We can give warnings. We can stop the action, give a firm warning. We can, um, we can stop the action and take away an advantageous position. Or uh, we can also uh, take away points. I see. I think a lot of people... And so was... depending, on the, depending on what happens. Uh, so, of course, if someone gains an advantage... You know, and 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 her uh, harms her opponent through uh, an illegal technique. You know what we're supposed to do is try to balance that out. By the one thing we can do is take point or take a position. We try to balance that out by uh, by those things. So if there's a, let's say it misses, of course we would you know probably I would respond with a warning. Watch that. That's an illegal elbow. Uh, if I believe, uh, if let's say it lands and there's not much effect. I could still come with a warning or uh, if I, you know, and that's, that's kind of for the referee who's in the fight, because at the same time, you, um, there may be a lot of other um, borderline fouls or infringements of the rules that may be floating, coming along. And the referee who's in there seeing those things may decide that he needs to uh, make a stronger warning to, uh, you know, to kind of get the fighters back uh, into the mode that, Hey, this is a, a fight with rules and you need to pay attention to those rules. Does does your enforcement of a particular rule, and what I mean by that is not that you don't enforce it, but you certainly have a degree of latitude about how you want to enforce it. Does that matter based on who the participants are or whether or not it's a main event? No, those things don't come into play. What, what comes into play is, you know, 
I, there are there are some there is some latitude on how the referee is going to enforce the rule, and I know that we we try to lock these things down with a bunch of rules and procedures and 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 uh, mechanics so that we can take as much of that latitude out. But uh, I I don't agree with doing that because each fight is its own situation, and we're going to have to trust to the referee's discretion at some time. So. Uh, I have for for there's a lot of different reasons why you do something differently, and uh, you know the referee who's in there at that time is the one who see who's who has the best uh, view. He's getting the best information, and so he's the one who's able to uh, make those decisions. I see. By the way, do you feel like the fact that you have latitude is a good thing because it does allow you to customize the appropriate uh, response, but at the same time. It's like it, 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 there's not much latitude, let's say, in uh, NFL refereeing. If if you, you know, if you hit a, uh, a defenseless receiver, there's a certain procedure for that. If you clip, there's a certain procedure for that. If you rough the passer, there's a procedure for that. Do you find that it creates confusion among the fan base and media? Well, I mean, it sounds like you're confused about it. I, I, that's for you to say. I'm, I know I'm not confused about it. I know that a lot of the fans aren't confused, but maybe some are, you know. Uh, but there's a lot of the fans who haven't read the Unified Rules document. There's a lot of the fighters or people who are the commentators who have not read the full document. So, you know, that, that could be where some of the confusion comes from also. You know what I mean? So I'm not sure exactly as to what. I, I think at this with this sport, I think there needs to be some discretion. When you, uh, you compare it to uh, football, uh, refereeing, I don't uh, – I'm, I'm not an expert on that, so I can't really compare it, you know. Fair enough. Um, by the way, how often do you think – do you encounter a fighter where at the UFC or let's say Bellator main card level, something like that, where they commit a foul and then they're genuinely surprised that that's a rule? Like the, until you enforced it, they didn't know that that was a, fou- a fault or a foul. Um, every now and then I, I, there, there, it doesn't happen often, but every now and then they're a little bit confused. Uh, that foul, the, the elbow one, I mean, that's, that's a rule that, um, I mean, I think that's a rule that that's probably going to be looked at again and again. And, and it was up, um, I don't want, I'm not sure if they spoke about it this last conference, but it's been spoken about, uh, because the rule doesn't, the rule doesn't make a lot of sense from one point. And, and for a while I was always, uh, I, I didn't like the rule, and I always wanted to get rid of it. Uh, for for the situation where that fight happened, I don't think the rule really makes a lot of sense to use it there. I don't think that that elbow should be any different than any other elbow. Uh, for but when it came time to get rid of it, I spoke uh, to one to some regulators that didn't that um, that wanted to keep it in, and I asked them why. And they, uh, I don't know if you remember the uh, situation with Matt, with Hamill and John Jones. Yes. Okay. So in a situation like that, where that elbow is coming down, that's an unpadded, that's unpadded, an elbow, a small area. And it's coming down to the face, directly down where it could land in someone's eye. And that could cause a serious injury. Um, this, uh, uh, regulator, there's a group of them. They had a. There's been. A, they had a, some information from a, more than one physician about what could happen, and I don't want to want to go into it. But it, to me, it was like, okay, we need to uh, we need to not uh, eradicate the rule entirely because we do need to think about that that type of a situation. Man, that's a really injuries could happen for sure. But that's a really tough spot, though, right, Herb? Because on the one hand. 
the rule, you want specificity so that you can allow for the appropriate room to have a, 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 a fair rule. At the same time, you know as well as I do, you used to compete. Certainly, how many fighters you've spoken to who are like, oh, I was in the moment. I was just flowing. I wasn't thinking. They don't, they don't exercise that amount of discretion very often. That's, that's, there's a lot of tension in that. Well, I mean, that, that can't be uh, a mistake. Uh, that can't be an, uh, an excuse for the mistake. It's like, I was in the moment, I was flowing, and I forgot about the rules. You know what I mean? So you're competing in a sport. There are rules. You need to rule, know them and compete by them. All right. So one of the other things that I saw that uh, brought up an interesting debate in a general sense that I wanted you to weigh in on if we could was what is the rule about an opponent? Let's say they're hurt. They are moving, but they show their back. I've seen so many UFC fights. I think about, for example, when um, I don't know if you remember, Herb, when uh, Ken Shamrock beat Chemo. He hit him with the double knees, and then Chemo just sort of showed him his back, and he clearly was kind of out of it. There was no doubt about that stoppage, but but I don't know what the rule is. So in your judgment and in your uh, expertise, what is the rule about an opponent showing someone their back and what that means for a stoppage? Well, I think that, that the referee, that's one of those things we're going to have the referee interpret it, you know? Because there's a lot of things that could be happening, and so we don't want to make a blanket rule uh, if you show your back to your opponent, the fight gets stopped. You know, uh, uh, MMA fight's a pretty chaotic thing. You could trip and fall, and the way you fall shows your back and presents your back, and now we've got a hard rule. Okay, stop the fight. You presented your back. When the fighter, we, what we want to do is protect fighters when the fight is no longer competitive so they don't continue to get injured. And so uh, we don't want to make a rule like uh, every time you show your back, we're going to stop a fight. But when somebody does show their back, and that's a pretty good sign that, that they're not able to protect themselves. So we'll let the referee look at that, assess the situation, and make a decision, right? Right. And boy, what a tough call. you got to make them a split second. So what else would you be looking for? Like how else they're defending themselves? Um, do they show yeah, physical signs of, of cognition, things like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're looking at how they're defending themselves. We're looking at are, are they um, – are they turning their back because they don't? They're 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 just trying to move away. They're 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 running. They're you know what I mean. What whatever it may be. I see. Now, uh, know, are they in the fight? Are they? Is this a is this a moment that they're trying to recover from, or is this something that's you know what I mean? This is uh, are they unable to fight? You know. Got it. Okay. Uh, one other one that was really interesting to me. I didn't see this brought up anywhere else, but it sort of occurred to me, which is the pace with which there are standups occurring in grappling scenarios. Now, let me just tell you what my bias is, and I'll acknowledge it up front. I actually like it when there's quicker standups. And I say that as somebody who appreciates the ground game, but I, my personal preference, however right or wrong this is, Herb, is that I like a little bit more involvement in referees pushing action. Number one, do you agree that the uh, referees today might be a little bit more inclined to step in and if you do agree or not, is that a good thing? Well, I, I'm not sure um, if the referees today would be more inclined to step in. If you say referees, that's a lot of people included in that. So right. some are a little bit more inclined to step in, and, I, and, and some are not. Um, I think if you step in, you should step in for, for reasons that make sense. You know? If there, you know, a... a you know, and, there, and there's a lot, there's a, you know, there's a, that's a lot uh, to go into. You know, okay, so I do a training. I'm doing my training in October, maybe October 13th. Not quite sure about that weekend, maybe the next weekend. We spend a lot of time talking about 
what's going to bring bring a stand up, you know? And there's a lot of different ways of explaining that situation, you know? So let's say you have a situation where the guys are locked up and they're not going anywhere. But if there's no tension, you know what I mean? Because sometimes, if they're, they're, even if they're not doing anything, if there's a tension there that's going to need to be, that's going to resolve, you know what I mean? Then you're going to let that play out. The worst thing is to kind of interrupt that, you know? And so, um, but at the same time, if you see a situation where someone, and, and that's the thing, you're going to allow people to do things for a little while, but if they're not progressing, then you're going to change it. If somebody's doing like, I guess the term would be uh, cooking, right? Like, uh, let's say you get somebody into a, a situation where you have an advantage, you have an advantage using your weight and using, you know, your position, and they have to uh, deal with that situation. And you don't press your advantage, you just let them spend energy dealing with that situation, you're cooking the person. But we're not going to let someone cook someone a whole fight. That needs mm. to, they need to advance that, they need to progress, if that makes I, sense. 100% that makes sense. What would you say, how, how would you define stalling? And here's, here's the reason why I asked that. There was a debate that happened, God, UFC 200, I guess, when Daniel Cormier fought Anderson Silva. Silva used a lockdown, uh, but then didn't do anything after the lockdown in terms of underhooking on the same side to progress the offense. Reasonable people can disagree, but to me, that's a little bit stalling. But I don't know if that's how you would necessarily perceive it. How do you define stalling on the ground specifically? Well, I mean, we, I mean, so like you said, like a situation where someone has an advantageous position and the other person has to work out of it. I mean, they could be cooking, right? But uh, if it's not go, eventually it has to go somewhere. How long? Okay. Yeah. Well, then there's no, there's no set time frame. I mean, every, every, I mean, I don't know if you can think of a way to make set times for every situation that makes sense. uh, I'm down. I want to hear it, you know? And, you know, you could do it and then we could sit here. I could have a bunch of fun poking holes in and go, well, what about this situation that happened from this time? Or what about that? Or what about this? And, you know, it happens all day. So right now uh, what we do is we just, you know, that's why we let the referees uh, make the decision on what's happening at the time, you know? Sure. Uh, yeah, you're right. I don't. I don't have any way to define the time. Uh, it's just. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, we try to think about it and, and you know, people would. uh we come up with things, and then, you know, like you said, like we're, we're doing now, then we sit around and poke a bunch of holes in and go, well, what about that situation? What about this situation? You know? Right. So we just hope the people who are uh, in the ring at the time, and, and we have, uh, I think that the officiating is getting better in the sport, right? We're getting better officials. The officials are getting more experience, communicating with each other more, making good decisions. For sure. I would certainly agree with that. But MMA fighting has also, not the site, but the actual sport, has changed a lot, right? There's a lot more, there's a lot of guys and ladies who are really well-rounded, and they cancel each other out a lot. Fights are often going longer. You're seeing more decisions. This is all backed up uh, with uh, fight metric data. So my, my question is, um, do, you, do you as a referee see a lot more scenarios where you think you have to intervene as a consequence of how the sport has changed over time? Um, okay, that, that's, a, that, uh, that, that's a pretty good question. Yeah, I think that um, uh, as the sport has changed as far as, because basically if we intervene, we're talking about stalling a situation that are going nowhere. Yeah, as far as people being able to stall, I think the stalling tactics are getting better. <laughs> you know, these fighters really, all of whatever they're doing, if they're whatever they're doing at the time, they're doing it well. You know, these guys, these guys know what they're doing. 
Fair enough. Um, Herb, if you could be president of MMA for one day, what rule would you either adjust or change inside the sport? Ooh, okay. Well, I mean, the one that you're talking about with the uh, the elbow, I think that uh, it's a rule that we have to look at. And I think it's a rule that everybody in the sport, all the uh, yeah, every all the regulators are, are kind of look at that rule, and it's one that you know definitely deserves some conversation. Uh, the um, the grounded opponent rule. Uh, not every state, of course, has uh, taken that on board, and there are some arguments uh, for both sides. So I think that definitely needs to be looked at. You know, it's pretty rough uh, in the sport to make a grounded opponent two hands. Uh, you know, in combat sports, you always want to keep your hands around your head. So. That's a, a rough thing to tell fighters, hey, uh, put your hands on, well, take your hands away from your head, you know. So, no, that that's something to be looked at also. You know, I see a lot of complaints. I don't necessarily have this complaint, but I see it a lot. So, on behalf of the audience, I'll pitch it to you, which is the fence grabbing. How much of fence grabbing do you think is tactical, and how much is it just instinctual that these guys reach out like that? Well, it's definitely instinctual. You know, a lot of it is, 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 I mean, I, you know, and you're asking me to, I mean, I can't give you a number, how much of it is what, you know, but uh, the good way with, with fence grabbing, if it affects the position, then take action. You know what I mean? If it doesn't affect the position, you know, uh, then, you know, if there's no harm, I'm not going to say no harm, no foul, but as far as adjusting whether you're going to give a warning at that time for that one, that should go into it, right? Into your decision. Uh, somebody does it more than once. If it doesn't, even if it hasn't affected the fight or doesn't affect the position, you're going to have to do something because they're doing something out of the rules that could in the future affect the position. Uh, before I let you go, Herb, do you have your, uh, are you officiating at UFC 227? And if so, do you have your assignment? I don't have my assignment, but I'll be there. You'll be there. All right. Well, yeah. I wish you, uh, I don't, you don't need luck, but I certainly wish you uh, a, a great officiating effort, whatever the proper nice thing to say is. I don't know, but uh, I am looking yeah, forward. I don't know, hey, but hey, thanks for having me on, man. And uh, man, thanks for all these questions. You're a really good question. I appreciate it. I'm thinking about it. And it's like, I always enjoy coming on and talking to you about this stuff. And yeah, uh, it's, yeah, great questions. Thanks, Herb. I know some of them sound inane, but I'm just trying to think through the process. You know what I mean? No, no, not at all. Not at all. And like, and the thing about it is, like, uh, I mean, it's a fun sport, and all of a sudden, you know, the conversation sometimes gets not very fun because you're trying to, like, talk about something. Uh, the, you know, when you the conversation gets kind of boring because you're trying to talk about something in a way that's like, hey, this is what I'm trying to do every time. You're trying to be as consistent as possible, right? right. So, um, yeah, it can, it can be a boring conversation. I'm sorry if I was real boring on there, <laughs> on here. No, you, but, uh, you're, you're, not, you're not boring at all. You're actually really helpful. Down, you know what I mean? Yeah. You were you were always very helpful, Herb. I wish you best of luck at uh, whatever at UFC 227, and thank you for your time. All right, thanks a lot, bro. Bye. All right, there he is. That was clarifying. That was clarifying. Hey, let me talk to Danny real quick, if I can. Pull up old Mister Segura. Oh, you can't right now. All right, well, we'll talk a little bit later. The uh, the complaints that people have about, um, well, you know, Mark Goddard enforce the 12 to 6 rule, it's a dumb rule. Okay, it's a dumb rule, but it's a rule, so you got to enforce it. And also, it was a number of things. It was apparently, according to Goddard, the raking of the ear, the grabbing of the fence to drive his hips in to hold the position, and then on top of that, the 12 to 6 elbow. Like, 
a lot of people were complaining about that. I, I got to be honest, I had no problems with that. And people said, well, it changed the course of the fight. Well, number one, I still kind of believe that Dustin Poirier would have gotten up. It wasn't like there was a ton of offense from there. In fact, the reason why he threw the elbow is because his hips were so sucked in against Poirier's, he couldn't actually create distance to throw anything. So that's why he threw that, because that was the only thing he could throw in space. That was the first part. So like, it wasn't like he was getting bombed on, uh, and Poirier had already shown he could get up. And then at the end, it's like, okay, a referee decision affected the fight. I'm like perfectly okay with that. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. All right, I believe we have to go back to Skype because joining us now is the Iron Lady herself. She uh, put a tweet out first time in like a year. Jermaine Duran to me. Jermaine, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. Jermaine, you're in Holland right now, yes? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have to say, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this. I went to Holland, I don't know, a year or two ago. Maybe people in Holland don't agree, but... I think it might be the perfect country. I agree. I couldn't agree more with you. <laughs> <laughs> People just know how to get along there more. So, I mean, I'm sure there's fights and everything else, but generally speaking, they know how to live around each other better than other places I've been to. Well, I don't know a lot about other places, but I do agree with you. We get along pretty well here. You know, we're very social. We like to socialize with each other. All right. So out of nowhere, July 27th, you <laughs> tweeted, looking forward to getting back in the UFC octagon. It's been too long. And then you uh, tagged uh, Raquel Pennington, waiting on you. Let's do this. All right, let's back up a step. Yeah. We haven't seen you in the octagon. <laughs> I was there since UFC 208. But I know you've been out more recently because of an injury. What was the injury and what is the state of that? It was a hand injury. I was uh, camping with it for a very, very long time. So I had surgery on I just couldn't I just couldn't bear the pain anymore. I could not train through it and my he my hand was swelling up. I couldn't even put my hand in a glove. So I decided to go go along and have surgery and everything went perfectly. You know, I was ahead of schedule and then everything went backwards. Uh the hand started to work against me. I couldn't train anymore. It was hurting again. So my doctors told me, you know, I had to take some time off and relax the hand a little bit and give it time to heal because, I mean, I've been fighting for 19 years. I had a lot of battles. So, uh, yeah, some damage was done. But right now I'm cleared by the doctors, also by the UFC doctors, and uh, I'm ready to go. I'm fully back in training, and I couldn't be happier. I feel great and getting better and better every day. Were you worried at any point with the hand injury that that was it for your career? You wouldn't be able to get back to competing? To be honest, there was there's there has been some times that I was afraid. Absolutely. But I try to stay very positive. I'm a very positive human being. And, you know, I didn't, you know, I still, I always kept hope. You know, I knew I had to be patient. I knew it was going to be a big test for me. And to be patient. But I had the patience, and now I feel great, and I can punch again, so it feels good. <laughs> okay, so that that you okay that explains the injury. So now let's talk about this. The injury has kept you out for some time. I wonder. Certainly, no one is happy about injuries, but did you need the time away from MMA, given how toxic things had become after your fight with Holm? Um, uh, partially, yeah. 
I mean, it's been, you know, there has been a period that was very negative and very dark period. But, um, you know, I have a very busy job, too. Um, and I go to school with that job along. So I was pretty busy, too. You know, uh, I wanted to get my degree for my job and become a police officer in Holland. And uh, that's what I am right now. And so I work full time. So that takes a lot of time too. you know, go to school and, you know, work. So that also was a big part of the reason why it took a little bit longer. When you say dark, what was uh, I can imagine, but give me a sense of things. Why was it so dark? I mean, I, I fight because I truly love fighting. I love fighting with all my heart. It's the first love and the biggest love of my life. Um, and I love to share what I love so much with other people that love the same thing as much as I do. But, you know, you have spectators and you have the people that do it. But we all love this sport so much. I never, but never in my entire life or human being, I had the intention that people thought it was okay to say the things they say to me. I've never, ever wanted to hurt anybody in any kind of way. Not Holly, not anybody. So, yeah, it was a very dark time. I, I saw an interview you did with a Dutch media outlet People were telling you, like, they were giving you death threats, and they, they were telling you, you that, that you should commit suicide. I mean, I, I, I have trouble even saying that because it's so ghastly, but that's true? Yeah, they yeah, they absolutely did. And they even made pictures of a gravestone with my name and date of uh, death on it. So, yeah, it was pretty tough. Uh, yeah, that's not cool, you know? People telling you worthless and... Yeah, it's tough. But at the same time, like I say, you know, I'm a very positive person. And being able to sometimes share a message with people to let people know that it's not okay. Nobody likes to hear those things. And some people, I think, don't realize how much impact those words can have on somebody. I have a very great support group behind me, people that love me and surround me with love. But there are people, children, you know, that maybe don't have that or have a, a bad period in life. That can happen to any one of us. If somebody tells them to commit suicide or tell them they're worthless, maybe they decide to act. And that's the scariest thing about it. Hmm. Let's, let's rewind all the way to that day in Brooklyn. And then, and then I know, I know it's terrible, but I promise we'll work up to the positivity <laughs> of today. I promise. I promise. Don't I just worry. Want... Don't worry. It's okay. All right. And I, and I appreciate your candor because I know this can be some difficult things to discuss. But here's what I would say. You won that fight against Holly all, all the way back then. If you could go back in time, would you still fight for that title knowing all this would happen? Yes, I would still make the same decisions. Okay. Absolutely. Tell, tell me why. Because after that, things fell apart. You decided that you would... Okay, you, 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 you said afterwards you would not fight Cyborg, and then they stripped you, and then you had... It was just a bit of a mess. I think you can agree. Why would you still do the same things? Because it makes me the person that I am today. I still stand for what I believe. And if you look back at any interview that I gave before that fight, before the fight with Holly, in every interview I've always said, I go back to 135. And all of a sudden, it was such a big deal, which I absolutely understand. 
And that's on the side note of the whole cyborg thing, you know. But the most important thing is to stand for your decisions. And I stand for every decision I make. Every decision you make in life has consequences. And I knew the decision that I made would have consequences. Did I know that it was going to be that bad? I mean, not being stripped of the title, but all the negative things people said. Did I expect that to happen? Absolutely no. Hmm. Do I wish that upon anybody? Never, ever, ever. You shouldn't say those things to people. Would I still do it all over again and make the same decision? Yes, I would. Absolutely. And I don't decree my, uh, disagree with my decision. I fully stand behind it. So the only thing where we disagree, and I promise this is the only one, I understand your <laughs> reasoning. I understand your commitment to principle. I, I frankly admire it. The only thing I can't wrap my head around is why take a title fight if you have no intentions of defending it against the number one contender? That's the only part I don't get. Which I completely understand. But the whole part was I wanted to fight uh, Amanda Nunes because I lost fair square to her. She's a great champion. And I thought this would be my chance to fight Amanda. Hmm. Fair enough. Day. You mean at 45 or back at 35? 35. Got it. Okay. Uh, so here you are all these many months later. Um, I asked about the injury and the time off being good. Was the time off good for, not, not, not the mental health, for your technical progression? Like, where are you as a fighter now? Uh, I, I honestly believe I'm mentally and physically stronger than I've ever been before. And why is that? I walk around right now at run 147, 146. I feel in great shape. I absolutely do. Okay. Um, and you're ready to get back in there. If the UFC called you today, you could say yes or no? Yes. Right. Pretty, pretty safe to assume they probably won't offer you a title fight, right? Fair enough. <laughs> and you're okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. How come? Um, the, I think for me as a person right now, the most important thing is to get back in that octagon. Now, and you I wanna know I go ahead. I have my eyes set. Okay, sorry, I was cutting you off there. I apologize. You have called out Raquel Pennington. No, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, the, yes, Skype, the Skype delay is a bit there. Okay, well, why, why Raquel Pennington? What's the case there? Well, it's not the case. Well, it goes a little bit back. Uh, in the past, a couple of her fights dropped out, and they needed her opponent. And a couple of times I offered, and for some reason, uh, I never got the fight. Uh, let me say, first of all, I have the utmost respect for Raquel Pennington. In my eyes, she is a true warrior. I mean, look at her last fight. She battled. She really battled. And I think style-wise, we, we are a great matchup. I absolutely believe that. She comes to fight, and that's what I like about her. I mean, she just comes off a title fight. I think um, we're both in a good position to fight each other. I think it's the right time to fight each other. And it would be an honor for me, absolutely an honor to fight with such a warrior as she. In your mind, where are you inside that division today? To be honest, I'm absolutely not worried about that. The only thing I want is 
get back in that octagon and have fun. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm not worried about a title fight. You know, I know I know I need to win a couple of fights. But for me, the most important thing right now is to get back in there and have fun again. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't get the Pennington fight, you're still willing to get out there and compete soon, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. It's just that the Pennington fight would be your preference. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there is interest from the UFC in that fight. So it's up to Raquel. You know, I, I come to Denver if she wants. I come to hostile territory. I'll fight her there. I mean... Colorado is at elevation, right? I live yeah. below sea level. I mean, if she even wants, we can make it a five-rounder. I now, just want to get back in there. You said the UFC has expressed interest. Uh, I'm wondering, wh what have they said to you? And B, what is your relationship with the UFC like today? Oh, it's still good. It's still good. I mean, I'm not angry at them. I mean, it's nothing personal. They're a company. You know, business has to go through. And we all know that. I, there's no hostile anything. I've no. I, we talked. We talked about fighting. They asked me if I was ready, and I told them I was ready. All right, fair enough. And I you also told them I. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You are the interview subject. I'm sorry. This thing. This technology <laughs> is great, but it's also terrible. Please finish your thought. Well, that's the that's the Dutch connection. It's nothing to do with you guys. Don't worry. <laughs> so, but. And I also express my, uh, what, you know, my wishes. And, and you know, I hope they, uh, they get along and maybe they ask Raquel. You know what's crazy is that coming out of kickboxing, and to this day, of course, your reputation in kickboxing is incredible. Uh, you're maybe one of the best to ever do it. And uh, you, you always will be. Uh, I, it's going to be a long time before someone matches what you did. I, I wonder if you feel like this whole episode has made people forget about that. Um like, what, what do you think this has done to your reputation, this whole thing? Well, well, to be honest, I, I agree with you. I, I think a lot of people for, forget what I, what my record is, record is, I'm sorry, in kickboxing. But, you know, at the same time, for me as a person, I know what I have accomplished in my life. And I know for me, my career doesn't stand or fall by Holly Holm or Chris Cyborg. You know, it's it's a bad spot, you know, and, you know, it happened. But I have to go and have, we have to move on. I mean, life is too short to just hang in one moment. I mean, I have a beautiful career. I fought a man. I'm undefeated in kickboxing and I have many knockouts. I fought the best of the very best in the world. I mean, I got to fight in the UFC. I got the headline in UFC card. I mean, I can say I'm blessed. And I get to share my love with so many other people. I mean, wouldn't you say you'd be blessed if you were me? Uh, I would, except uh, I'm a relentlessly <laughs> negative person because I'm American. And you're, you are relentlessly positive. It's pretty incredible to watch. So let me just let me end on this, if I may, Jermaine. It sounds like you want to fight because you still love to fight and you want to fight for you because it's something you enjoy. You're not fighting to erase or change people's opinions. You're fighting strictly on your terms, for you. Yes. And for the people that just love to see fighting. I'm not just fighting for me. I also fight for so many other people. I mean, people that have been bullied, you know. And my message is always to people. You know, there is always going to be people that are going to tell you you cannot do it. There will always be. 
I have faced those people so many times in my life, even before I started doing MMA. A lot of people told me, you will never make it. You can never do it. But I made it, and I did it, and I'm still going to do it. So if I get to share that, and maybe I can change one person's mind, and they start to believe that they can do it, and they will follow their dreams, I think my life and my mission is accomplished. Well, I have to say I appreciate your candor and your willingness to address these issues. I'm sorry you had to face uh, some of these darker times, as you alluded to, but you've been smiling this whole interview. Your positivity is pretty, pretty noticeable, I have to say. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, die with memories, not dreams. I live by that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Jermaine. I look forward to seeing you in the Octagon again. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. All right. There she goes. How about that? Man. I don't... I don't she smiled more in that interview than I smiled in my life. That's pretty crazy. All right, it is time now where you become a guest on this show. It's time now for the sound off. <laughs> there we go. A little bit late, but you know, better late than never. Which means we have to go to our friend in the back, the blicky with the stiffy, the one and only Danny Segura. Danny, how are you? I'm good. You? What did you think about uh, Jermaine? Uh, it, I like the interview. Pretty interesting. She, I love how she's very... Would you be that? There's no way I'd be that positive after that kind of situation. Yeah, it's probably not. not. But uh, I, I love her message. I love how honest she is about everything. Um, even when you asked her the tough questions, you know, she she embraced it. She, she's not hiding from anything. She's not hiding from anyone. And then that's all you can ask for, right? And we are not going to hide from the phone calls, are we? We are not. All right. You have told me we've got some uh, some good ones today. We do. All right. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's just get it going. All right. Let's get it started. First one about, um, I guess, the controversial stoppage of, of of Goddard this weekend. So let's talk about that. You mean the, which one? Um, Eddie Alvarez, Dustin Poirier. Oh, the stoppage wasn't controversial, but the elbow. Or, was. Yeah, the, the, the decision to stand him back right, up right. Uh, gotcha. with the elbow. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. Hey, Luke. I wanted uh, to know your opinion about Mark Goddard's intervention uh, in uh, Alvarez Poirier fight, and I wanted uh, I wanted I wanted to know: Do you think it was the the right call uh, to make in that situation? Thanks. By the way, rest in peace, Sean Price. Very good. Uh, touch you bad when you're hit with a hard hawk. P. My knuckles drag when the god walks. All right. Um, neither here nor there. Let me just say this, Danny. Did you did you mind the stand up? I didn't. Okay, tell me why you I didn't. Thought, tell me why you didn't. I thought it was the right call. I mean, I knew that the the twelve to six, right? It, it was illegal. Period. I mean, now, whether let, let, me, let me play devil's advocate. The fact that it hit on the shoulder didn't hurt him. The fact that Dustin even said, "I'm fine." That doesn't matter. Illegal is illegal. Right. Right. I mean, let, let's say you knee somebody in the head, right? A downed opponent. And it doesn't, it wasn't a hard knee. The person clearly looks there. That doesn't change the fact that it's illegal. Right. Right. So I do agree with the standup because at the end of the day, you're doing an illegal technique, right? So there has to be some price for it. And, uh, you know, that was the position. So he didn't take any points. It was just positional. I, I thought, yeah. I thought what Herb said was really important. Herb has noted, like, there can be a foul. But I have discretion inside of that foul mm -hmm. to make either A call, B call, C call, or D call. 
And so you can object to the rule being illegal, but as you noted, it is. So then the question is, are you upset at Goddard? Not you, I'm using the proverbial you. Are you upset as a fan out there or as an observer for the call that he made um, in terms of uh, the discretion? And I got to be honest with you, I'm really not. I'm just not. We have this attitude inside MMA, Danny. I see it all the time where people will say, but the call affected the fight. So, so what? Yeah. Calls affect sports constantly. Was there was a was a uh, I don't know, was a um was a safety running over hitting the guy, a defenseless receiver or whatever? Was that the call that changed the game? Uh, roughing the passer was it changed the game? Was it a ball? Was it a strike that changes baseball? Bottom of the ninth, you throw a pitch, maybe it's on the edge of the plate, guy calls it a strike, that affects the game. That's the game itself mm-hmm. and the role that officiants have in changing it, we want to keep this idea about what's a pure fight because I think we're still living in the days where here's Gracie versus some kung fu clown and we don't want to get in the way of it. Get in the way of it. It's yeah. modern sports. I really have. If it was an egregious one where he kind of like winded up and didn't even throw it and then they stood him up, okay. But it landed. You threw it. Dunsky, fine. It, Plus, he was hard, holding the man. fence at the same time. Yeah, that's true. And it was a hard shot like – Try, you know, take take an elbow to your shoulder that, that can dislocate it, that could really affect By the, way, the fight. So he's also, I mean, it landed kind of like over the shoulder. Yeah. But it was also kind of attacking the clavicle a little bit. That could yeah. be two fouls at once. And by the way, your bone here, this one, wicked, wicked easy to break. Yeah. Very easy to break. All right, what do we got? All right. Uh, let's talk about the ratings, which were surprising, right? For, for, um, for Saturday's show. They were garbage. Yeah. Hey, Luke, a little bit of mouth reading. Kyle from Houston, Texas, and I was wondering, given the low ratings of the Fox um, Thirty uh, this weekend, what you expect the buy rate for the upcoming UFC pay per view this weekend? Thanks, and long live yellow mustard. <sighs> <laughs> so, two things: what did you think of the ratings, okay. and what do you think of uh, this week, this weekend's uh, ratings or, or potential ratings? Yeah, so I'll go with the second one. I don't think we clear two hundred. Uh, I think it's sub 200, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, could be wrong about that, but I don't think so. Wait, you don't you don't think their their promo on the Fox broadcast did it? No, I don't. <laughs> Number one. Number two, what do I make of the ratings? I guess on some – I'm, I'm of two minds, Danny. I don't know about you. On the one hand, uh, I'm not surprised because you look at that and you say, well, there's no star on that card. What could it possibly do? On the other hand, you say to yourself, wow, record low? That's the record low overnight? Now, we'll see what ultimately the final numbers come out to be, and I think it'll probably be a little bit higher than the baseline, but uh, or the bottom number anyway. But at the same time, we, did we not discuss this on the MMA beat last week? I kept saying to folks five, six years ago, you cannot force this much product on the folks out there, the casuals, without expecting some kind of rejection. You're turning it into banquet food, and pe- when you, if you tell the customers it's okay to pass, believe me, don't be surprised when you succeed as a strategy when they do that. The bill is due. And now the bill is being paid. And as you can see, it is quite painful. Honestly, MMA can't get behind streaming services fast enough. That is the only thing that's going to protect it. And the reason why is because when you're behind a paywall, as long as you're part of a larger portfolio that gets people to fork over money for subscription fees, you're fine. The individual ratings inside don't necessarily matter all that much. Um I mean, they, they do matter, but it's not super consequential. But uh, I don't know that, and I'll be dead serious about this, I don't know that MMA could survive if it was forced to live on TV going forward. 
Yeah, my thing was like I'm with you 100 regarding the oversaturation, but also it's like I don't know how you say it in English, but in Spanish it would be el pastorcito mentiroso, like the lying shepherd. You know, like the the, the kid story. As you, as you well know, for folks who may not know this, Dan, let me back up a step. Yeah, go for it. Colombia has a gazillion phrases. Do they not? A billion, yeah. So I've learned 500 million of them, but every time I talk to you, I learn another one. So I've actually yeah. not heard that one. So it's like the the story where where the boy cr cries wolf, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. What's every single promotion? Oh, uh, this fight card's the best. You got to tune in. You got to tune in. You got to tune in. And let's be honest, how many fight cards have we seen? And they're quite shitty, a lot. So now when you really, when you got a really, really good card, you know, this Nobody was knows. a fantastic card. And yeah. you're like, this card's the best. You're literally saying the exact same thing you've been saying for the last five crappy cards. Yeah. So how are you going to tune in? You know, it, people might not know who Jeremy Stevens is. People might not know that all that much about Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. So, you know, it is hard to promote a fight when you're saying every single card is the best, tune in, and they're not. And then when you really got a really good card, what's the difference? You're not making any difference. You, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, and also I think folks have made a good point. It's like, where's Dana in all of this? You yeah. only see Dana on Get Up on ESPN, which is their morning show, when Connor's chucking shit at buses. But like... I'm not saying he should have promoted the Hamburg card. In fact, I'm glad no one did. But uh, it would have been nice to promote this one a little bit more. And again, you can't make media outlets want to talk to you. But I bet if he had talked about Connor and, oh, by the way, let me also promote my fights this weekend, they, they wouldn't have been interested. I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I have a hard time believing that. All right. Right. Keep it rolling, son. All right. Let's go. Hey, Luke and Danny. This is Aaron from Chicago. There was something that I noticed during the Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier fight that really caught my attention, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Throughout the first and second round, Dustin Poirier kept grabbing at his own shorts, and he was pulling them up almost as, as, a, as a tick or as um, maybe they were bothering him as well. I was wondering your thoughts on that and if you think that it is possibly just a, a tick that is a timing mechanism for him. Or if it was something that was actually bothering him and could have led to a distraction in that first round of the fight for him. Mm. I know as a view. So he, he keeps going on. So let's cut about that. But did, did you notice that? I noticed that as well. He kept grabbing on his shorts. I did not notice that. No. He did. And I, I don't know. I, there was a few wardrobe. Now, when you say grab, you mean well. like with his open palms? Yeah. Like he kept, he kept pulling him up almost as if he was uncomfortable with it. Uh, I know a lot of fighters, they don't actually like to have super sweaty palms. So they'll do they'll wipe their hands. I know that that's a pretty common thing. It depends on how the taping works or just their personal preferences. Some never bother with it at all, but I know some guys don't like that. So I see a lot of them wipe their hand, the inside of their hands. Um, Adesanya, I think, might do that a little bit. Um, so maybe that's you know what. Without having seen it, I, I'm hesitant to comment on it. By the way, speaking up back to the ratings, I can tell you what Colombian phrase I know for that. Castigo de vino, <laughs> right? In any yeah. case, back to this one. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't make a whole lot of it. Did you did you get the sense that it overly impacted his performance? I don't know, but I, I did notice he was doing it a lot. At first, I thought it was just kind of like, um, you know how some some fighters just like to do it. Just, I don't know, maybe kind of like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo takes a free kick. He kind of pulls his shorts up, just kind of like a thing you do. But then he was really doing it a lot. And I, I kind of thought maybe, I don't know, the shorts were giving him a, a bit of trouble. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I don't know. It's, um, I tried to get him on the show today. He's he just declined uh, only because um, he's spending time with his his uh, his family. I'm actually going to speak to him tomorrow, but um, I'll ask him about it. But I wonder if it was just the sweat thing, or maybe his shorts were slipping, or yeah. 
you know what? I didn't notice it, but maybe that I'll, I'll look into it. How about that? Cool. Sounds good. Now the next caller is a very um, seductive caller. Oh. Hello, Lukey. This is Sexy Steve from Michigan. And I was wondering if you and Danny um, could answer a question for me. Could he ask slower? <sighs> I guess not. Oh my God, get it over with. Because of when I'm Dustin Diamond Poirier knocking out Eddie Alvarez in the second round in a win streak and people he has defeated. Should he fight Tony Ferguson since Tony Ferguson got injured and should fight Dustin and those Alright, I'm gonna cut it right there because then My after God. that it gets it gets a By little the way, weird. I don't I I could be wrong. You never know with someone's voice. I get the sense that Steve's actually not that sexy. Yeah, I think if I heard that in a dark alley I'd run or, you know, anywhere in the it's street. Like sexy for yeah. what? 4chan? Maybe for 4chan. I don't know. Twitch? Yeah. Uh, but not in real life. Anyway, but it's a decent question. Yeah. But who should fight it's next? It's one that came up a lot after the fight. Yeah, but right? the thing is, it's like title shot. I mean, I think we all kind of know what's going to happen. It's going to be Conor Habib, whether it should yeah. be. We can all have this debate about what it should or shouldn't be. It is going to be that. But okay, then you got to think after that, if Connor wins, is he going to want to rematch Poirier or is he going to want to fight Diaz? I don't know. Um, or is he going to want to fight Ferguson? I don't know. I mean, that's really, really hard. But let's say Habib wins. Then what do you do? Um, I would, I, I got to be honest. I don't know how you can go wrong with virtually any permutation. Do you want to have him fight Kevin Lee? Fuck it, I'm down. Craig Kevin, um, Tony Ferguson? Who could possibly be against this? Uh, or just sort of giving the title shot. Would you, do you, or maybe you actually do have a preference. I, I, I'll be honest. People always do this thing. Like as a media guy, you can make a choice about like, do I want to be a guy who breaks a bunch of news and stuff? And like you share news about fights, people go crazy. I've never, it's hard to explain. It's not that I don't get up for fights. Of course, I mean, Jesus Christ, I make my living doing this. I'm not bagging on that. It's a fantastic thing to be in media. It's just not for me because I don't necessarily feel like I don't get crazy about the announcements themselves so like as long as he wasn't taking a step back dustin i'm fine i don't know i don't know how i feel a lot of people were asking like oh you know get uh habib connor and right right in that car to make you know tony ferguson versus dustin poirier and sure i'm completely against it okay, i mean why? dustin dustin poirier what he's done is worthy at least to have on his career be called a title challenger at least have that that in his record that he fought for a title fighting tony ferguson that man's a beast i mean he like broke his leg like not so long ago and now he's doing flips and break dancing i mean that guy's a monster well, let me ask you what's the so, difference between ultimately over I was like, what's the it's a fair point it's a fair point mm -hmm. and i mean to cut you off i apologize but the point is this let's say he fights tony ferguson let's say he beats him yeah so now he'll have beaten Champion Eddie Alvarez, champion in a different organization, Justin Gaethje, champion Anthony Pettis, and then previous interim champion Tony Ferguson. At that point, does it make a difference that he wasn't in a title fight? He'll have such a collection of scalps. Oh, it 100% does because you're still case. not a title challenger. And look, yeah, but functionally, what does that mean? I mean, fighting for a title, just having, just having, look, if, if you're going to go your entire career, right? 
and you never fought for a title, but yet you've done everything. You've stepped up for the promotion a million times. You've beaten super tough competition, and you never even got that chance. That, to me, is a robbery. I think Dustin Poirier, I mean, he said it himself. He's like, yo, my next fight's for the title. It doesn't matter if he's not the next guy, but his next fight must be for a title. And I'm 100%, I 100% agree with that. I think he should take the time off. He's coming off super tough fights with Justin Gage and Eddie Alvarez. Dude, take a year off, even if it takes that long. Recover. We've seen some people take some time off and look great. Mm. Dude, he's taking a lot of punishment. Just take a year off or whatever time is needed to get your next shot. If Conor McGregor's the next guy, all right, wait for your next shot. Right. But uh, man, the man has done everything, everything needed to to get that shot, and he deserves. I mean, these are fair arguments. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't begrudge him if he wanted to take time off. I don't know that I would necessarily need to see that. I would say that the only thing that I would take into consideration is um, about the title fight. To your point, what's the what's the functional difference if you beat four champions versus getting a title shot? It's um, well, it's the opportunity to become a champion, of course. But I don't know that that even of itself changes the whole thing for me. But the paycheck. I would be happy for him to get a big paycheck. That to me matters pretty significantly. So um, you can convince me. I think it's a, it's, it's a strong argument. It's just that, like from a matchup standpoint, would I be happy with virtually any of those permutations? The, oh, the, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a fight fan, so of course I want to see Tony Ferguson versus Dustin Poirier. Are you kidding me? That that's violence written all over. Yeah. But out of fairness to Dustin Poirier, the man needs a title shot. But it's, I mean, waiting is so complicated in today's game, though, man. It's a big risk. I mean, Ty- Tyron Woodley's the champion, and he waited. I know, I know. But if you wait, and then it's your turn, and then you get injured, bro, that tra- that bus does yeah. not come back around, man. So, like, yeah. I'm not saying you're wrong. You're making good points, Danny. I hear you. I, I, I wouldn't argue too strongly, but it's risky. All right. Keep going. All right. Let's talk about now middleweights. Hey, Luke. This is Clifton from Anaheim. Uh, I was just wondering, with the success that Anthony Smith has had moving up from middleweight to light heavyweight, going unranked to the top 10 in two fights, why are guys like Luke Rockhold and Chris Weidman and Neil Romero sticking around at middleweight, fighting each other when the title is tied up with Tusk and Robert Whitaker's injury, when they could not cut that extra 20 pounds and fight in light heavyweight, which is a much shallower division, and possibly fight for the title, which is going to be vacated in March anyways, and not have to cut that huge amount of weight. Thanks. Boy, it's a complicated question, but a good one. There's a few reasons, I think. For one, in the case of Weidman, he has um, friend Corey Anderson doing big things up at light heavyweight, so that might... Uh, that might inhibit a decision to move up there. So that could be related to teammates. That would not involve Luke Rockhold necessarily, but I'm merely pointing that out. Um, You you know, you're right. You look around and you could say, wow, those guys, they might be able to make an immediate impact up at uh, 205. But it's these guys, man, they're they're creatures of habit and they're often stuck in their ways and they need to be kind of forced into new scenarios before they agree it's good for them. Look at the resistance Kelvin Gastelum initially had to being a middleweight. And then he kept winning and he kept winning and he kept winning. And he's still sort of eyeballing a return to welterweight at some point. But it wasn't until he really started just putting the the beat down on some of these guys at middleweight that he said, you know, I I I I, uh, I can do something here. And now look at him. He's on the cusp of a title shot. So, um, so partly it's a function of if no one forces them up there, they may still just believe they have the advent, uh, advantageous body size for that. And moreover, a lot of those guys are still at the top of the division. They've had some bad losses, but they've had bad losses to each other. Weidman lost to Rockhold. Rockhold lost to um, Romero. Romero's, you know, 40 plus. I think they feel like if they move, they risk leaving a good position 
Um, it's not that they're wrong, Danny. The question is not that the questioner is wrong and saying they could have even more success at light heavyweight. But you know fighters, man. They, they get in their mind, this is my recipe for success. These are the conditions that have to be established. And they don't really want to rock the boat. Sometimes they got to be forced out of them. Yeah, for sure. And th this is a question that I've asked myself as well. Like, look at Anthony Smith. Before Anthony moved to light heavyweight, like, we knew who he was. If you're a hardcore, you know who that guy is. But he's not. He doesn't have nearly as much as prestigious Chris Weidman or Luke Rockhold or Yoel Romero, right? Mm -hmm. And look look at the name he's become at light heavyweight. Dude, if your Romero or any of those guys were to go up to 205 and get one win, all of a sudden they're in title conversation. You know, they're right there. The line seems, one, much shorter. And let's be honest, if you look at the top 10, the competition at middleweight seems a lot more difficult than at light heavyweight. So that's something I never understood. Move up a weight class and, you know, now fight possibly less competition, have a shorter, uh, you know, trip to the title. The, on, Why not? the only caveat there is Anthony Smith, and I spoke to him last week, so I'm not, I'm not in any way undercutting the win. It's a great win. Uh, we know Rashad was very much at the end of his career. He retired after that, but he still beat a name in Rashad, and he beat a name in Shogun. Now, I don't think Shogun's in the same kind of spot. I actually think Anthony Smith is a very good light heavyweight, but until he beats the Alir Latifis or something yeah. of the world, there's still some uh, some questions about it. My point being is, if Luke Rockle goes up to light heavyweight, if Chris Weidman goes up, those same big names kind of aren't there anymore. I mean, maybe Glover Teixeira, but he's still a real tough challenge yeah. for anybody. So my point is, the days of picking off old stars at light heavyweight, they're numbered. Um, so it's not the same thing as Anthony Smith going up anymore. But to the point, they could have gone up before and they could have had their their choice of it and they decided not to. So yeah. there you go. Keep the train rolling, my friend. Right. Let's move on to, I guess, loca location of, of, of uh, UFC events like during during the week, like perhaps, you know, choosing a, a different time of the week to, to put a UFC Good event. question. Hey, Luke, Mike from Columbus, long time, second time. Um, my question is, with the low overnight ratings, would you think it would be best that the UFC move some of their fight nights to a weekday instead of a Saturday and save Saturday for their pay-per-view events, especially with the success Dana White's Tuesday night fights is having? And especially with us living in the Midwest, we only get two months of the year where we could party out. So, and then Saturdays are pretty good for that. Thanks for the time. Enjoy the show. Be before you answer that, do you remember when the, U the UFC used to have uh, events on, on Wednesdays, like years ago? Sure do. Steve Miocic fought on a Wednesday. Yeah. Yep. How, how fun were those? Like, I, I love watching MMA on a Tuesday. You know what? Sign I, me up. I am so in favor of that. I, don't you remember the um, Luke Rockhold, Costa Filippo fight was on like a yeah, Wednesday right. or something. Um, I love those. I love, even when the PFL is like, when I watched the PFL if it was on a Saturday night, you know, being candid, probably not. But on a Thursday, my chance of watching it grows exponentially. Sure. But the truth is, man, there's just the casual audience is not the same. The casual audience doesn't value fights in the same way that we do. So, you know, the, you're talking about the success of the Tuesday Night Dana White Contender Series. I agree, but you're not selling that to an audience, a live audience, right? So there's no gate to worry about. You're just having friends and family and training partners in there. And then it's just for streaming purposes. We don't know what the viewership is like. Um, we have reason to believe it's probably decent enough depending on the fighter or the the contest or whatever, but um, there's no real way to know. That's, that's all proprietary information. So when you're calling the success, I understand, but on, on whose terms and, and, and what way, we don't really know the answer to that. So I would love to see it, but it's just not realistic. I will say to Columbus though, I don't know much about the city, but they do host one of the great expos. They, you know, they, they host the Arnold every year. That's another thing that Strikeforce used to do 
They used to hold events the same weekend as the Arnold. Do you know anything about the Arnold, Danny? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's basically when Arnold Schwarzenegger, we've got to- dolls of him and this up here. He, I've never seen one man has not defined what it means for masculinity in my life more than Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you can call that sad. I don't give a fuck because uh, he is the beyond that. He is the king of fitness. So everyone in the fitness world from like bikini fitness models to powerlifters to strongmen to Olympic weightlifting to bodybuilding, everybody shows up to the Arnold and they sell their gear and their and their tank tops and they compete. It's like the goddamn mecca. Strikeforce used to have a show in conjunction with that because MMA is also actually still a pretty big part of the Arnold. And they, everyone has stopped doing that. I don't know what the metrics are that told them that that was a good idea. Maybe it is. I don't quite understand it. But I love the Arnold, and I miss that that crossover, to be honest with you. I recently saw a documentary. Uh, I think it was Bigger, Faster, Stronger. Yeah. Uh, the, so uh, the, so hold on, the guy who hosts that, who, who runs it, or did the that was the narrator, the, his brother is a, uh, a big-time powerlifting guy and YouTube star. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That, that was a great documentary. Yeah, he openly uses steroids, by the way. Oh, nice. I, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. So we, we've had, we're running a little bit short on time. All we've right. had really great questions, but. Fire uh, them out, fire them out. So let's, let's feature the last one. Uh, a little friendly. We, we have, we have time for two. We have time for two. Okay, cool. All right. Hi, mouth breathing Mike from Connecticut. And I just wanted to ask, what do you think the future holds for Nick Newell? And is the UFC still a plausible option in the future? If he can win three or four fights in another promotion. Thanks. Um, Danny, I don't know how you feel about this one. I would say the chances of him in the UFC are very slim unless he fills it on short notice. I still think that's your best opportunity to get opportunities you otherwise wouldn't get. So I'll say that. And I would say, I really hope Bellator gives him a shot. He's highly promotable. I still think he's very skilled. Um, credit to Alex Munoz. He won fair and square, but what else are you going to say? No excuses. I actually, we, you heard him on the show, Danny. I said, no excuses, win or lose. He said, no, and he hasn't subsequently made any, but, um, I, to be honest, I, I my hunch is, is the UFC going to happen? If I had to bet, I'd bet against it, but I wouldn't bet a lot. I, I still think it's possible. I just really hope Bellator thinks twice. Yeah, I don't. I, it, it sort of felt when he lost like it was it, like that was his chance to make it into the UFC. Mm-hmm. I may be completely wrong about this. Uh, we've seen Dana White change his mind on a bunch of different occasions. Sure. And, and as you said, he can always fill in for short notice. But man, it just felt like that was it. And, uh, you know, Nick New is still a fantastic fighter. He still has a great story. I think as long as he wants to fight, he should find a major promotion, say whether it's Bellator or PFL, whatever it is. But I'd love to see him in Bellator. Hey, look, go, go, to, go to Ryzen. Go to yeah. uh, One. I wonder if they'd be interested as well. By the way, Ryzen had some great fights this week. They certainly did. They certainly, they always do. Yeah. All right. By the way, one, one note on that. People were beating me up on Twitter. Because we don't give enough Japanese MMA coverage was their criticism. And partly it was a function of like, why were we sending? I I don't want to get into that part. But they were asking me like, why don't you feature more on the MMA hour? And the answer is not as a personal preference that I have anything against Japanese MMA. Japanese MMA used to be the most important kind of MMA. But that's a long time ago. Let me be just be clear about this. If you have a podcast out there and you want to devote time to Japanese MMA, I highly encourage you to do so. It is an underserved market. But if you are interested in audience cultivation to the point where you can sustain a job, that's a real fucking bad idea. 
okay? It should be a hobby of yours or something. Um, you can make a claim that a site has a, a editorial responsibility to give some kind of coverage of Japanese MMA. I believe that we fulfill that obligation yes, strongly in MMA fighting. So could we always do more? Yes, I'm not opposed to it in the future. Uh, I do love it on a, on a per, personal and professional level, but we don't make time for it because it'd be real a real bad idea to make time for it. Sorry, that's just the, that's just what the market bears. Yeah, and and I think we covered the the main things. I mean, talking over me knocking out Mel, no. Melvin Gillard. We we had. I'm not knocking our coverage. Yeah. I think we did just fine. Could we always do more? We could, but at the sacrifice of something else that, frankly, is more important to our right. viewers and our readers. So, mm-hmm. all right, last one. Okay, cool. Hey, Luke. This is uh, Tim from Arizona. I don't really care to see uh, George Aichek versus uh, Rose again. So. Who do you think Rose should fight next? Thank you. Love the show. Bye. So uh, b- before you answer, yep. I- I- are we on the same page that Yon Jacek's likely not getting a shot, the next shot? The next shot? No, I, yeah. I, I would agree that she's not getting the next shot. Same. Okay, so who do you think should get that? Man, Andrade, right? That's the one you got to yeah. do. Uh, fighting Kovalkiewicz. Because, and also because, frankly, it creates a little chaos in the division, right? So she is the, to my judgment, you know, Wait, she's fighting double K? Yeah. When? 228. Uh, so soon. So if she wins that, for sure, she should get it. Um, but let's say she wins that, and then she fights Nami Yunus, and she wins. Right? Okay. If she does that, um, then you have a problem on your hands. Because you know, Jacek smashed, I mean, we're not smashed, but, you know, satisfactorily beat Andrade back at USC, what, 211 in Dallas. I was there for that one. So now you'd have this thing at the top of the division where, like, Randy beats Tito, uh, but Tito beats Vitor, but then temporarily, Vitor had beaten Randy. Now, of course, Randy had fixed that. But you get the idea where these guys were kind of all feasting off each other at the top. I actually think that's part of what made light heavyweight so great back in the day. So to me, you absolutely feed her to Andrade. I think Andrade is a very tough matchup for Nami Yunus. not saying she will or won't win, but that physical style, you know, Rose is so technical and sharp and the timing and the distance it's a real contrast to the marauding, bruising, physical Freddie Serrano strong. You know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? Super strong. Um, and and if she wins, now you've got some fresh permutations or even some old permutations you can work back in. Yeah, I, you, I agree with you. You said it was a problem, though. I don't think it's problematic. I think it's great for the a Problem in the sense of it creates chaos, but... Uh, right, I mean, I, chaos I is good. I, chaos, sorry, I meant it in a different sense, but yes. Okay, yeah. I mean, if Andrade fights Rose, right, and she wins, all of a sudden, Young Jacek, I'd be down to see uh, Young Jacek and Andrade too. And let's say Young Jacek wins, given the fact that she has a pretty convincing win over her. All of a sudden, Rose, Young Jacek 3 makes sense. Yeah, by the way, people are down on it. Like, I don't really want to see it again. Okay, right now. Right now, I don't want right. to see it again. Yeah. But in boxing, these guys will fight four or five times. For and sure. I and the first time she got, okay, crushed. Dude, that, do not, folks not remember, Nama Yunus had to turn it on in that fifth round. And she yeah. did. Credit to her. She absolutely did. She was the rightful winner. It wasn't like Jacek was like terribly out of it. Give her a couple more wins and look at the big mouth. And I mean that as a compliment yep. that Jacek has. Dude, I'm telling you, there absolutely is. Not right now. Not right now. There's no appetite for it now. But they're going to fight a third time. I, one for a title or not, they're going to fight a third time. Yeah, uh, let it let it cook a little. Let it you know stay cooking, fam. Yeah. Uh, all right. What did we miss? Anything else? Um, no, that's it. I mean, there's a, a few other questions. I don't know if you want to get to. If we have time. Nah, I gotta I gotta get uptown. Yeah, I have three more hours of radio to do. Fun. <laughs> I think we have one guest, so I've got a bunch of talking I have to do. Uh, good show today. Yeah, yeah. Good show. I really enjoyed everyone stopping by. 
Uh, all the guests were there on time. It was kind of great. Any, any, any parting thoughts, my friend? Nothing. You see, Calgary was great. That's the type of MMA I want to see. Fair, fair point. That's uh, watching that because sometimes it some did of not fights, feel like a chore, did it? No, it didn't. So sometimes UFC Hamburg. I mean, Jesus Christ, just watching that card. Sometimes I feel like I'm not a fan because I'm watching and I'm like, dude, I'm not interested in this. Right. But watching Jose Aldo fight Jeremy Steven, watching Tisha Torres fight Yon Jacek, Poirier Alvarez, that made me feel like a fan. I was tuning in. 100%. For sure. You didn't have to beg me to watch. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, all right, Danny, great job today. Very high energy. I loved it. I loved it. Really appreciate that for you. Thanks. Good job today, man. Yeah, no problem. All right, and I appreciate all of you folks out there uh, watching as well. Follow Danny on Twitter at, I think, Danny Segura TV. Follow me at L Thomas News. And until next time, stay frosty.